Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Anime Nostalgia Podcast. As always, I am your host, Dawn, and today I am continuing my creative conversation series where I interview various people in various creative fields who grew up with anime and how it inspired them to make their own cool things. And today I have a very special guest. Uh, I, I realized that this is actually my first guest from overseas ever, which is very exciting. Uh, please welcome to the show, uh, Laura Watton. Welcome, Laura. Hi, thanks for having me on. First, first international guest, first British guest. That's that's impressive. Yeah, that's nice. so nice. Yeah, yeah, no, no pressure or anything. No, no pressure <laughs> at all. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. That's great. Yes, you are a comic artist. You are an illustrator. You are a crafter. You wear many, many hats. <laughs> I do. I like to multitask. <laughs> so, um, would you like to tell us a little bit about uh, you and your work? Oh, sure thing. So um, uh, I go by Pink Apple Jam online. Most of my social media is Pink Apple Jam. Um, I run pinkapplejam.com. I was very much influenced by anime and manga when I was about 13, 14 years old and video games. Let's not forget video games. And I was always into comic books and cartoons as a kid. And the stories that I read were just, you know, so so exciting and new to me, and I, it made me want to do my own. So I did. <laughs> so I started drawing a, a very long-running comic called Biomecha. Um, Biomecha.com is also another one of my domains, um, but I'll probably talk about Biomecha later. Um, but I've also co-founded uh, a UK manga-influenced comic circle. And was part of that for 10 years. That was uh, sweatdrop.com. It goes by Sweatdrop Studios now. Um, and I've done some magazine illustrations off and on over the past, I don't know, 20 years now. That's kind of embarrassing. But yeah, that's <laughs> no, time. that's impressive, um, though. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And yes, um, when, when I get burnt out by all that, I sew things, I guess. And, you know, sell them on Etsy and make things for my friends and myself. So maybe that covers it all, hopefully. Maybe, I'm well, not sure. <laughs> I know you've also, you've been published with Tokyo Pop. I did. Uh, you've, oh. you, uh, you've had some of your work on, uh, I remember seeing some of your art on Windsor and Newton markers. <laughs> That's right. They're still going with my artwork. Which, <laughs> which is <laughs> so neat. Like, that must be so cool. You go into an art store and you're like, oh, yeah, there's my art. That's, that feeling never goes away, honestly. It's like, hmm, I made this. You know, that was nice. <laughs> um, and you, you've published, uh, outside of Biomecha, you've published, like, some books. Uh, I think, yes, yes. Um, with uh, Simon & Schuster. Uh, Simon & Schuster, yes, I've worked with them. The most recent book was um, Octopus Books, which was kind of funny coincidence because my mascot in Biomecha is an octopus as well. Oh, so it that's actually right, happened. yeah. It was just a very nice coincidence. That's there was so no fun. planning with that or <laughs> whatever. Um, <laughs> but it was, um, it's available in America actually as well. Um, and it got translated into French and Spanish. And it's, um, you will be able to draw manga by the end of this book. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I saw that. Title. <laughs> uh, I think I saw that at a bookstore uh, like last year, and I was uh, like, I know who, I know who made <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. It was a really fun, fun thing to do. Um, I was approached by the publisher to do that. Um, there's, there's a, a guy, uh, Jake Spicer, 
um, that read, that does the series, uh, by the end of this book, you will be able to X, Y, Z, you know, color theory, penciling, inking, etc. And I guess they wanted a manga version of that. So uh, they contacted me. They're like, you've been inspired by a lot of manga. Would you like to do this book? And I was like, yes, please try not to sound too desperate. <laughs> because I've always wanted to do my own book. Um, and I've always contributed to books like over the past 15 years. I've always contributed to how to draw manga books because you know we taught ourselves by being inspired um by other other books and other artists um and the how-to book see that sort of theme on books is still quite popular um it was very popular around the the tokyo pop era for sure oh yeah publishers were really getting in on that mm-hmm. um yeah so yeah the tokyo pop thing was um uh did you pick up any of the rising stars of manga yeah, yeah, because I had friends who also um, uh, contributed to that as well back in the Amazing. day. Yeah, oh, that's so good. So the UK had three. Um, I think America had maybe eight or nine, I think. Um, picked them up and I was like, oh, I want to do this. And and I, I submitted to the first one and I didn't get in. And oh, I was crushed, absolutely crushed. They, they did, Senpai did not notice me at the time <laughs> at all. <laughs> So, so by the time the second one rolled around, I had a, a real strop. I was like, no, <laughs> they didn't want me. Oh. <laughs> You're like, how I, dare they? How, how absolute dare. And I thought by the time the third one rolled around, I was like, no, no, Laura, come on. You've got to have a go. Come on, try again. And, and I've got to say, I just scraped in. <laughs> I was the last entry in that book. However, I did manage to get into Rising Stars, UK and Ireland number three. And it was a zombie story. And I think it's because Tokyo Pop still like zombie stories, to be honest. Oh, yeah, that was still at the height of like uh, yeah. zombie fever, as it were, in comics. <laughs> so that story was it was 20 pages maximum. And it was it was set in it, the 50s. It kind of predated Monster High, which I thought was quite funny because I love Monster High when all the dolls came out and the animations mm, but it mm-hmm. was uh so my story was like a 1950s high school um and the the main protagonist the girl uh, she was actually reverting from zombie status back into being a human and she was being really freaked out and didn't want anyone to find out so i won't spoil the 20 pages i can't sadly put it online anywhere because the copyright is still um tokyo pops actually mm-hmm. um but you could probably still get a second-hand copy from Amazon, maybe, or eBay. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, um, I, I see yeah. those uh, those Rising Stars of Manga, but at least the American ones. I see them all the time in used bookstores. Oh, great. <laughs> they're, they're pretty common. Yeah, yeah. Because so, Tokyo Pop probably printed, like, a billion of them. <laughs> true. That's true. So maybe my, maybe mine's in a second-hand shop in America somewhere. Who knows? Yeah, possibly. Or uh, I would think it would probably be not that hard to, to track it down on Amazon, yeah. probably. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so that was my, my Tokyo Pop claim to fame. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so just drawing, just drawing. And similar to yourself, um, Dawn, you must, you must have been, you know, you saw that one anime that made you pick up that pencil and want to try drawing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, Yeah. Back when I was a teenager, like, well, even before, like, when I was very, very, very young, like, about five years old, I was very into drawing, and it just kind of, you know, kept with me for a long time. But then, you know, uh, you get into cartoons, you get to anime, you're like, oh, now I want to draw 
all this, you know. <laughs> I feel kind of bad that I didn't really keep with it. Like, I've been more proactive to try to get back into, like, art stuff. Mm. Just for mm. me, though, not so much yeah. like, oh, I want to be famous, you know, or oh, anything. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's no guarantee of it for that for anyone. For us, yeah, especially like, now that, like, you know, it's the internet and, you you know, there's so much there's so many good artists out there. You're so just like, how many. do I even compare, you know? I know. And they're um, all like 12 years old as well. I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> you're so talented. I know. Like, <laughs> there's some artists I follow and I find out their age and I'm like, oh my goodness. If I had half that talent when I was your age, I would have just been like over the moon. Absolutely. But, um, but you know, yeah. the, the, a, lot, the, a lot of kids have like way more resources than we did back in the day. And ac accessibility is a great thing. Mm -hmm. You know, inspiration from everywhere, every minute of the day. It's yeah. so good. Now so you don't have inspired. to go out yeah. and, and covet those like, uh, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of Copic markers like we did. <laughs> Oh my goodness, absolutely. Promark has definitely ruled the roost, the Windsor and Newton ones. Um, in, in the UK, they were originally distributed by Letrasets, who did all the, you know, the sticky dots that, you know, were very popular in the 80s. Um, but yeah, they got bought out, I think, by Windsor and Newton. Um, but yeah, even the sticky dot thing, um, you could still pick some up in certain old stationery shops and art shops. I think oh, wow. when I was still doing manga, I was definitely buying very expensive tones. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. D did you see that? There was a there was a tweet going around from Japan where so many artists, manga artists don't use tones anymore that now oh, wow. they're bringing their old like piles to like um, their their publishing like their editors and they're just putting right. it in a box and being like free take them. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow, the professionals are doing that. Wow, in Japan. That's amazing. Yeah, because nobody uses them anymore, no. hardly ever. No. I mean, it's defi they've definitely relegated themselves to the status of perhaps craft materials. Possibly. Yeah, or, or like a hobbyist uh, yeah. stuff. Yeah. Or uh, even, I guess, maybe doujinshi publishing. That's a good point, actually. Yeah, you, you could, you know, 100% retro. Yeah, super it. retro. Maybe it's real tone. <laughs> Make your fanzine with the the Amazing. original screen tones. But yeah, now you can buy like things like uh, Clip Studio and they, they have, you know, screen tones built into the program. Like oh, you... so many, so many. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot um, infuse enough, actually, about Clip Studio because it's so accessible. I'm not sure if you use it yourself. Um, I I'm past. I don't have a a digital setup or anything. I'm okay. at this point. I'm strictly just like scrap paper and ink. Let's go. <laughs> what pens still work? Quick. Let's see what we can do. I, yeah, I, yeah. I still have my Sakura microns. Microns. Oh, so They're so good though. Those Sakura microns. They're honestly the best fine liner. I can wax lyrical about stationery. They are, they are, are good. <laughs> I can go off on a tangent. Or honestly, fill <laughs> me in now. Fill me in. Oh no. Oh, oh my goodness. <laughs> I love those pens so much. I, in fact, that's exactly what I did. The Rising Stars thing. 100% in Sakura microns. Oh. Um, yeah. So, so I, what did I use? I used Manga Studio three. It went Manga Studio three, then Manga Studio four, and then. It, it digivolved into Clip Studio Paint. 
<laughs> brought in a couple of other programs, I think, so that you could do colour. Uh-huh. Um, of which, actually, I am too chicken to try. It's like, I know how to colour in Photoshop. I'm just going to keep to that now, thanks. <laughs> but apparently it's wonderful. And they have sales, like global sales of this program. You can download mm-hmm. it for about, oh, is it 30 quid, if that? 30 oh, yeah. So what, it's 25? very affordable. So affordable. Maybe 40, 30, 40 bucks or something. So the good, the, one of the good things about the how to draw by the end of this book manga um i i managed to get a royalty which was so well so joyfully received i'll say thank you i've never had a royalty before oh yeah Um, wow and i I actually invested it straight back into my art stuff and i actually bought myself an ipad without that book i would not have been able to afford an ipad i feel and i got a very fancy ipad and i got a fancy pen and it was so expensive i couldn't actually muster the courage to use it for about six months (laughs) oh like no I'm too intimidated by it now that I've brought it into my home (laughs) (laughs) I I I understand that feeling though oh dear I don't know what that is what sort of weird and digital anxiety that is but that's what happened honest to god so I brought it in and then I started playing around with procreate um and then I did download clip studio the only problem with the digital clip studio on an ipad is that it's actually subscription only you can't just buy it one off you have to oh. but it's, it's not that much per month mm-hmm. um per it, it can't be more than the whatever adobe is charging <laughs> right now shudder yes Ugh. oh it's so expensive honestly and i know i always tell younger artists i'm like please just buy clip studio please don't bother with the expensive ones you, this will do everything you need it to do right now mm-hmm. for you now so yeah yeah <sighs> But, um, you know, uh, get, getting back to the creative process and your your history, um, you know, since this is an anime podcast. Uh, <laughs> uh, a comic podcast. Or a <laughs> uh, I'm curious, too, especially, you know, since you you live in another country than I do. And so a lot of my listeners are probably also in America like me. Um, I'm very curious to hear about uh, how you got into anime in the first place. Oh, it's it's a long one. No, it's not really. <laughs> I think uh, we all know the, you know, how anime came on to American television. It was mainly Astro Boy and in Star Blazers and Robotech. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that we didn't actually do it that way. <laughs> um, we didn't actually have any of those on terrestrial television. So the I think I was pretty much there at the cusp. The only anime I didn't see was when Marine Boy was aired when my dad was a kid, which my dad oh. remembers watching Marine Boy. That was actually the very first British televised anime oh. in the UK, at least. And then we actually had nothing. That must have been early 60s to 1979 1980 when we got battle of the planets so i jumped onto it as a kid because my dad likes a lot of sci-fi so you mm-hmm. know that i had no choice but to enjoy all the animations because my dad was watching it with me as a kid so we went through battle of the planets and then it which was that's the that's mm. the localization of um gachaman gachaman yep that's right um and then we moved on to Starfleet, which was a puppet show. Uh, oh, yeah, a uh, Gona yeah. Guy's puppet show. Gona Guy's puppet show, and that was called X Bomber uh, in Japan. And we had that because it was running at the same time as Jerry Anderson's Terror Hawks. Oh, uh, yeah. Which was really fascinating because I was petrified of Terror Hawks, yet I wasn't <laughs> petrified of, you know, Commander Makara or anything <laughs> like that. 
Oh dear. So I grew up with those two a lot. Um, watched that all the way through, and then we just started watching a lot of co-productions like Dogtanian and the Three Muskerhounds, which is a timely mention because the three D films just come out <laughs> this month. We've actually got that at cinemas now. It's quite oh. sweet. Oh. Um, so that was so that was one of my kind of I call it an early fandom. Um, things that I just got very obsessed about. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, we all grew up with Thundercats, all of those co-productions. But oh, yeah. Again, yeah. So it was mainly co-productions, I think, in the UK. But, of course, they weren't advertised specifically as being animated by Japanese studios. Of course, yeah. Um, the same but, in America. Yeah, absolutely. And because my dad imported a lot of, like, uh, magazines that covered pop culture, he was able to read about the the magical Japanimation. And he, <laughs> when I was growing up, he was like, look at these credits. These names don't look English. That's because it was made in Japan. So I was very lucky to have the very open-minded and pop culture educated, uh, you know, introduction and support to all that. So I, I always kind of knew it was Japanese, but the anime word wasn't about until I think Akira was launched. Oh. But yeah, in between... Maybe those co-productions and manga video launching. We did get Samurai Pizza Cats on. Oh, Saturday interesting! Television, yeah. And I only found out last month that it actually aired in Britain uh, years before it got aired in America, which I was like, "Oh wow!" <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. That's kind yeah. of amazing. Yeah, yeah. So that was a big thing, like. Uh, because it took the mick out of the Ninja Turtles, which was another huge thing. Oh, of mm-hmm. course, it was Hero Turtles because nunchucks weren't allowed. We had edited. <gasps> That's <Ninja> right. <laughs> so that was my anime introduction. But then there was a big drought between Samurai Pizza Cats and Akira for a couple of years, which, of course, when you're a teenager, feels like eternity. But oh, it's yeah. actually only about two or three years gap. So that gap was mainly filled up with video games so collecting video games i also read a lot of video game magazines and there were two that i really loved um but the main one being super play which some of our listeners may have heard of but it had a very japanese pop culture slant and actually featured articles by helen mccarthy in this video game magazine about anime yeah Yeah, there are a lot of uh super famicom super nintendo imports that the team used to review And the great thing about those games magazines at the time, pre-internet, they used to um, scan the um, instruction booklets and the box art and the label art. And you'd you'd get these magazines with these beautiful, because it was a review, it was fair use, I guess. Mm -hmm. Not sure, but they were great. So that's what I used to copy from. Like I used to pause my video recordings of things that I wanted to try and copy. and I used to buy all these magazines with my pocket money, my allowance, and I used to copy all these great, inspiring things. You know, they weren't like they weren't like babies cartoons that we saw at like twelve thirteen. It was it just felt like something different and interesting, and different characters, different stories, different um, ways of being cartoons. Um, yeah. And and then oh, Anime UK I guess had launched at that time as well. I think. So just as I'd figured out what anime was at that time, um, I mean, I'd always gone to comic shops with my dad uh, because my dad is a big Silver Age collector as well. So we were very lucky growing up in a house full of comic books. Um, Mm -hmm. We'd read anything, you know, you name it, it was in our house, it would be read. So (laughs) he used to go to comic shops to pick up his collection from previews that we'd order. Oh, (laughs) Um, yeah. Yeah. And then I translated manga had just, just started to come out. So I think I just missed... 
uh, what was it called? So they did that, uh, it, not image. Uh, they printed My the Psychic Girl. Oh, um, Eclipse? Eclipse Comics. That's right. Because being a Ninja Turtles fan, I bought the Eastman and Laird comics. I bought the mm-hmm. Archie comics and then some independent, yeah, Eastman and Laird issues. And then they also had adverts for other comics. And in those other comics, there were adverts for Eclipse Studios. And that's kind of how I thought, oh, oh manga's, manga is a thing and it's being translated now. And I can collect it from the same shop I got my Ninja Turtles comics from. So, but of course it was all imported, you know, we'd have to go into city centers or, or mail order them, etc. Um, so yeah, so I think, I think video games was the big push towards this is what anime specifically is. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, big, big manga video fan. Project Aiko was my first VHS Aww. as well. Yeah. <laughs> Fond memories of that. Um, I think it's, yeah, I've got it. Is it coming up on Blu-ray now, isn't it, soon? Yeah, yeah. Discotech is uh, working on that Blu-ray now. <laughs> Blessed be, Discotech, honestly. <laughs> I think that's all that I import now, it's just Discotech. <laughs> <laughs> right. So good. I mean, it, it still yeah. boggles my mind. Like, I don't know if you saw their whole, like, uh, thing about how, you know, at first they were just like, well, we can't find the masters. They're, like, effectively lost. And <laughs> so they were going to just, like, take all of these laser discs and scan them and then like get like as good of a picture from all of these different laser disc recordings as possible with this uh uh program that was going to like hot like uh quote high res scan them as as well as they could uh and then um Robert Woodhead from Animego just came along and was like, oh, actually, like if you look in the archives, they just filed it under the wrong number. It's over here. Uh. <laughs> So they'd already spent like all this money trying to like <laughs> make a uh, make a quote high def version of it, and the masters were just like misfiled. <laughs> they were just misfiled, like one digit out or something. Oh my goodness! Yep. Oh. Pretty much, yeah. Well, thank goodness for our small. It's still small. Well, it's not small, is it? It's just close knit. I think mm-hmm. you know the close knit, dedicated fans. Whether you know. Pro- pros or publishers or self-publishers or whatever it it just feels like it's on that same plane Mm -hmm. and I think that's what I've always enjoyed about the anime and manga fandom I guess in the west all all over really you know Mm -hmm. it's not limited to America or UK that's for sure yeah and just having that feeling of of you know right pre-internet pen pals there was a lot of pen pal time spent in my teens you know coming from a a small town where not everybody got the cartoon obsession the hyperfixation or anything like that um collecting comics and anime uk had a pen pal section so i put my name and address in it yeah that yeah that uh that's so funny because that's where i found some of my uk pen pals was through that magazine but i i um my my local comic shop only like very sporadically got that magazine because they Mm -hmm. had to import it Mm -hmm. so i only had like maybe three or four issues of that magazine like when i was younger and and of course they wanted like a lot of money for it i think back then i paid like eight dollars an issue or something like that which back in like 1990s money that's a lot it is it really is and it wasn't the cheapest magazine either because the production values were super glossy oh yeah i think 
I think it cost me more to buy that magazine because it would have had a smaller print run, I'm sure, mm-hmm. than uh, maybe my video games magazines. Um, so, yeah, I can only imagine what it must have cost to import. Um, so I think the first import, reverse, <laughs> in reverse, the first imported magazine, fanzine, it was a, a Rama-specific issue of Protoculture Addicts. Um, oh, I remember that one. <laughs> yeah, so I actually got two. The first one was the very early single digit um, issue, and oh. it had a picture of female Ranma sat on Genma Panda on the front cover. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later on, there was another Protoculture Addicts featuring coverage of, I think, the Ranma films, um, and that had a front cover by Robert Jesus. But yeah, that was great. Oh yeah. He, oh, yeah. he did so much art back then for so the much. magazine. I specifically remember him doing like uh, all the stuff in like PlayStation magazine. Oh, really? Way oh, back in the day. We didn't get that. But how lovely that our video game magazine cultures running parallel both hired homegrown artists yeah. as well. Um, so in the UK, it would be Will Overton, um, big senpai of mine on Twitter now. <laughs> um, yeah, still making artwork. He worked for Rare, I think. Um, and he did all of the artworks and splash images for both Superplay and Anime UK as well. Oh, um, yeah, Anime UK had a lot of like really fun art in it. I, re- I yeah. remember even those few magazine issues that I had I was always like wow the art in this is so good like I always loved the the stuff that they had in the back where they would do like a a recipe (laughs) yes definitely what was it ah oishi (laughs) yeah (laughs) so cute and I was always like oh the art for it is always like really cute too like oh uh, definitely it, it, it was really fun Um, definitely it was so silly as well but um i didn't have any confidence in my cooking skills to actually go forward and try them but i always appreciated them (laughs) (laughs) some of them were kind of easy i was like oh i've made that before Uh, they they just like you know basically uh, tried to tie it in with like oh kind of anime or manga related (laughs) i remember there was a three by three eyes one so god knows what that was (laughs) Oh, do you remember? Oh, I have no idea. That sounds so funny, though. <laughs> I tried to think. I um, uh, I think it was a couple years ago. A friend of mine actually sent me a big box of old um anime UK magazines that I oh. never had seen before, and going oh, through God. them was so fun because, like. Uh, you know, like you have all those great old articles by Helen McCarthy. Um, Torin Smith wrote stuff oh, for really? it. Oh, really? Yes, yes. Um, like all these names that, like, oh, we think of now is like, oh, like the the elders, the yeah, the, the ultimate senpais, <laughs> the, the, <laughs> the, the the big names that like we all grew up with. Like yes. you know, writing all of these um, very. Uh, extensive articles about stuff so so we the the younger crowd would would know you know <laughs> yeah definitely like oh respectable name must read this article yeah, yeah, <laughs> from exactly. this established established writer this established senpai but um anime uk i probably or was it superplay no i think it was anime uk followed by superplay magazine they they were so good at supporting young artists and they used to publish fan art. They used to pu- publish envelope art. You know, mm-hmm. when, uh, for the younger listeners who may not do this, but you used to draw a picture on front of an envelope and send it into the magazine. Whether you had a letter in there or not, it didn't matter. You know, they would publish the artwork that you'd decorated your envelope with. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I was in Superplay a couple of issues with various bits and bobs. Not everything that I sent in was published, but they were so good and kind to us younger readers, and they publish a lot. But I, I think my first ever published thing was a picture of um, Calm and Tetsuya from Outlanders <laughs> with really stubby legs. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. Started drawing and my proportions were wacky, um, but they were so so sweet. And they published this silly piece. Um, maybe I should redraw it now or something. I've never actually done that, you know, redraw based on an old thing because oh, it, was, that's, it was so old. So that, that's a perfect thing now because, like, isn't that a meme on on social media I now? Like, redraw yeah. your old art. Absolutely, but oh, it's embarrassing to look at. But they were so good. <laughs> at, like they didn't really care. I think they were like, "Oh, this this person's quite young, and they've drawn a thing. Let's publish it." So they did. Yeah. So that was the publishing bug for me. Um, mm-hmm. So after that, it, it was just <laughs> just a chase. So whether it's make my own publishing or send things into magazines and have the letters or the artwork published, and that escalated um, through. So I, I always followed art. Uh, in in education um, because exams actually, I mean number one I enjoyed drawing uh, which was kind of handy for an arts degree but also examinations used to give me such anxiety I was like I probably could do a business degree or something but the thought of going to university and having to do even more exams actually absolutely terrified me so I thought mm. well if I do artwork if I do illustration and animation studies I can draw and maybe I have to do a dissertation or something and I can hand in an essay and get that graded but there's no actual sit down exams maybe that's how I can you know get a degree or something so that's right. actually the path that I took um and it was very difficult actually because UK education system I don't know if it's the same in the states I mean number one they charge so much for student fees now I actually wouldn't recommend anyone follow art and design uh, for an expensive degree I'd probably suggest doing business because then you can learn how to sell your own artwork Um, (laughs) but it was yeah it was tough because again um, it, it was such a contrast because I'm like look I'm getting you know my amateur art published in these magazines and you know, I've met other people that make their own uh, magazines and comic books. So I must be OK at doing what I do. But then when I got to university, they were like, oh, just stop drawing so much cartoony stuff and stop doing this. And, you know, do learn how to do classy editorial magazines. And I'm like, I just want to draw comics. It was it was really disappointing, actually. Um, I think that is a, a thing that a lo- I hear that a lot from mm-hmm. from uh, art students or you know people who went through art school here in the states where mm-hmm. you know they they butted heads with their instructors who mm-hmm. were like oh y- you can't keep doing these like anime things like that's mm-hmm. that's not gonna sell or it's not it, it's not going to get you a job you know this mm-hmm. is this is more like you know for kids stuff like you know, you should be focusing on, like, real art or whatever. Mm. Whatever that's supposed to mean. What what even is it? Exactly (laughs) this. And I was so broken by, like, social aspects were difficult. And, I mean, that's another podcast for another time. But from the art side, um, I was just so, well, you set a brief and then you weren't here for a week and then you changed direction. And, oh, I'm so lost. Goodness knows how I managed to get out of that. But I did write my dissertation on Homer Simpson, I guess. Oh. <laughs> I actually submitted it on The Simpsons. What was it? Is, is Homer Simpson a Western archetype? They're a typical male archetype. And, of course, the answer was yes. But of course, I had to yeah. prove why. Um, but this was two, the year 2000. 
And The Simpsons had actually only been on uh, satellite or cable until two years prior to that. I think it, it aired oh. terrestrially in 98. Whereas I'd be, no, maybe, maybe later, maybe, maybe the year 2000. But I'd been watching The Simpsons since 1992 because we actually got a satellite dish in, in our animation household. My dad was like, well, we could spend a lot of money on this, but it does have the wrestling and The Simpsons. <laughs> so <my> dad, <laughs> so <my> dad, Priorities. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so we ended up being able to watch The Simpsons and it was so different from anything. Um, oh, yeah. So, you know, just consuming animation whilst watching anime Japanese stuff um, is definitely what I was doing. Um yeah, so, sorry, I've gone off on a tangent. I was going back to graduation. That's right. So I got out, I got my degree, and I ran. <laughs> I ran as fast <laughs> as I could. I got any job, uh, did admin, um, and then freelance. Because I knew, you know, it, it, as you said, all these tutors said, there's there's no jobs. You can't earn money doing this. And I'm like, yeah, I know there's not a nine-to-five job drawing manga-style comic books, but please let me just enjoy what I'm drawing for a couple of thousand pounds or whatever I'm paying for tuition yeah you know but no no rest so I just ran and I made sure that my I was getting some income because nobody told me we didn't do like a working sandwich year or anything like that I think we can do that now but I'm not sure you usually get to extrapolate extend your three-year degree by doing four years but what the year after year two is like unpaid work in some studio and I was like well I'm paying a lot of money and I don't have any savings I'm literally scraping by at university eating noodles so I can't do that so yeah did my third year didn't do that um but when I got out that's when I'd realized that it was the whole unpaid internship people Mm -hmm. were doing in arts related jobs and I'm like I've got no money (laughs) how can I live off nothing and then it's when I realized there is actually a very privileged um area perhaps of arts graduates who could afford to do that because for whatever reason trust funds or they have savings or whatever they could do that but and I thought fine I was so broken by these difficult three years I thought no I'm just gonna do my own thing so I went back to drawing what I drew before university I drew more comics than I'd I'd ever drawn before (laughs) I self-published and I managed to do some freelance illustration and the first magazine that published my stuff was Shout magazine which was like a teenage magazine for age like 12 to 15 year olds maybe and again it was it so lucky how I got that job because I didn't have a website. My university did not even teach me how to do a website. I mean, it had oh. to be coded. It, you know, no Wix or Squarespace like you've got today. No DeviantArt, no nothing. So I was so desperate. I was actually putting my artwork on CD-ROMs and just cold posting them to agencies or whoever I thought might want to take a look at this. Oh. And one of the avenues. Oh, and that didn't work, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> gonna say that's very ambitious so ambitious but you know i was thinking oh well madonna walked in with her stereo and started singing in front of her music exec of course that's gonna work with like oh my weird cat girls (laughs) no it didn't work it did not work i can tell you that so another thing that i did was there was uh lots of free free postcards seemed to be a big thing towards the end of the 90s early 2000s so i managed to 
just create some artwork for fun. I was like, I'm graduating. Freedom is happening soon. So I started drawing some cat girls or whatever and I actually sent these cat girls <laughs> off to this postcard company. They didn't pay me. It was literally free promo. I know we say don't do anything for free. You'll get exposure. But this was literally the one time that it actually worked. And <laughs> I don't want to tell the internet that because it goes against every grain, everything that we say these days to young kids. Don't do work for free. But this was voluntary. This was, you know, I give you nice art for your postcards. You put my art in cinemas or whatever. And the editor of this teenage magazine picked it up and was like, oh, yeah, do you want to do some art for the magazine? Oh, my goodness. I could not contain myself. It was so nice. Oh, so that was the, the one time that ever worked. <laughs> yeah, and then of course it never worked again after that. The end. <laughs> of course, <laughs> that was it. But you know, that was my my freelancer foot in the door. I did one or two things because I was very stubborn about what I drew. You know, I thought, well, no, I've had I've had all the joy of drawing knocked out of me through uni. I'm just going to draw the way that pleases me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of did this this hybrid. It was like a Betty Spaghetti style. <laughs> <laughs> I think think the Powerpuff Girls head on some very bendy bodies. So, uh-huh. <laughs> so that, that was my graduation style. That was a style that kind of pleased the tutors, but not entirely. So I thought mm, maybe this is a good middle ground. Um, so I did that for about three years for this magazine, one or two other magazines as well. Nothing major. It wasn't anything that I could do to do it full time. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always done something to kind of support me being able to do the paid manga influenced artwork because, you know, it's still seen as fringe even 20 odd years later. But I, you got to do what you got to do to get your artwork out there. Um, yeah. And I don't think there's 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 no such thing as you're. You're only a real artist if you, you're doing it all day, every day. And I'm like, that sounds excruciating to me. Right? <laughs> no, like, you, you know, as per the introduction, I do a lot of stuff. I get, I get burnt out really easily, actually. And I wouldn't want to put all my eggs in that basket. So, you know, I've always been able to do some form of administration whilst parallel working on stuff. And I've, I've honestly done that since, um, since graduation. And I work in publishing now, randomly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't publish manga or, you know, <laughs> but I still work in publishing, which is great because that ties in with my love of making books, making my own books. Um, and I'll always say that. I'll always <laughs> whoop out you know, one of my comics. I'm like, look, I make my own books. Hire me sort of thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pretty comfortable and I'm looked after where I am. And that's, that keeps me happy and healthy and it enables my freedom to do whatever I want so maybe on my own Patreon run I don't know am I my own Patreon <laughs> if that's the case I'm not sure um but yeah sometimes I do commissions sometimes they work out great sometimes they really don't and I get burnt out and then I get the sewing machine out and all sorts of stuff yeah it's yeah. not linear that's for sure yeah. And, you know, I, I, I think that that's kind of common nowadays especially yeah. you have to sort of do whatever it takes to you know stay afloat yeah and sometimes that means doing various things you know sometimes you're not always just doing the same thing over and over again Mm -hmm. uh especially right now when like you know finding a steady job isn't the easiest thing to do absolutely and i also think there's actually no such thing as a, a career as perhaps the boomer generation see saw it um so i i mean the, there is a trajectory for sure but the bottom can drop out at any time any oh, yeah 
I mean, especially uh, as we are recording this in the year 2021, as the pandemic has shown us, like, you know, as soon as something goes wrong and upsets everything, like sometimes it just, you know, you're like, okay, well, now what? Absolutely. So it makes sense to not just uh, do one thing nowadays, like, uh, Mm. especially in the art world, like, Mm. and... Uh, everyone expects you if you are some form of artist that you can do everything too mm, that's you, you right know. i mean so. I, when, when i was illustrating um a lot more and i was taking on more commissions i actually spent more time chasing the bloody invoices than i did drawing because nobody wanted to pay me either um oh. so frustrating and i'm like well i might as well get paid to do this <laughs> So let's, right. let's brush up my admin CV and make sure that all my publishing freelancers got paid. <laughs> so it's, oh, it's so difficult. But I think things things do change a lot quicker. Um, I think it hasn't helped that the UK government going to be a bit political now. I'm sorry. The UK government hasn't really supported the arts and cuts are happening left, right and centre. The only money that we seem to get is put into sports. It's not really put into like community and arts venues. And and then COVID hit, and then yeah, that that highlighted the, all those cuts that was happening anyway. So mm-hmm. um, I the, think it depends if your government can support you in I creation. Think that's, I think that's also pretty like a, a common thing here in the in the states. Mm-hmm. Why why fund the arts or the, our libraries when the money is you know finding the next big like football star, or whatever? Yeah, exactly that. Exactly, um, especially because the World Cups. Uh, you know, uh, uh, football's happening, kicking off tomorrow, I think. So it's either bigger, it'll be win or lose for England. Who knows? But Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> soccer for my American friends. Oh, sorry. Yes, uh, <laughs> British football, because we call, we call football American football. <laughs> so, so maybe, you know, English football or European football, I don't know. But, yeah, soccer, basically. Yeah, big kickoff. No pun in. Well, yeah, pun intended. <laughs> but uh, going back to your work, so... Biomecha, your your comic that you've been doing since 1995, (laughs) (laughs) and it's still going, was one of the first, like, real indie, like, comics that was heavily inspired by manga. So, in a way, you're kind of like the UK's version of, like, Ninja High School or Ben Dunn. (laughs) Maybe I am. That's a very good point. You know what? I've not actually thought of it that way, but maybe I was. So... Um, when my dad was importing, uh, he, well, he would get his comics imported via orders through previews magazine. Mm -hmm. And one of the big comics newspapers, I suppose you'd call it that. It was like a monthly, monthly magazine, but in newsprint was something called Comics International. And that contained everything where the comic conventions were going to happen what you know where you'd get this that the other any comics news it would be in there and much like the pen pal uh, column in anime uk you would have like pen pals or notices adverts and making a fanzine do you want to contribute uh, all at the back of comics international and my dad was like look someone's doing a manga thing look at this and i was like okay dad <laughs> looked, looked at it and it was uh, a person, I can only remember his first name, sorry, it's called James. And James was going to put together and organize and print, like he, he just wanted to help the, the, uh, highlight 
manga uh, inspired comic books and, and it was very appropriately called i suppose british manga <laughs> so that was the first kind of fanzine anthology thing um so yeah one of my very very early comics got published in that anthology um uh, it wasn't biomecha it was just an, an early version of trying to do comics but i'd learned such a lot from doing that um but it wasn't going anywhere and i binned it <laughs> and then i started focusing on biomecha um, and I was very, very much influenced by all the cyberpunk stuff that was coming out, you know, big bubblegum crisis fan, um, all the cyberpunk stuff that manga video was coming out. But I also wanted something a bit softer <laughs> because it was very much aimed at, you know, adult men that come home from the pub <laughs> to watch. You know what I mean? It wasn't really, you know, shoujo-y. I'd never even read any shoujo, to be honest. There wasn't anything translated at the time. But I, I just wanted something perhaps a bit more ranma uh, demographic, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I was in high school, secondary school, so I thought, <laughs> I know, I'm going to set it in a secondary school. But it, it was, it was a, I suppose it was a bit X-Men-y. That was on television as well in the UK at the time, X-Men animated series. But I wanted a school where if you were different, you, could, you would fit in. Because, if, I mean, personally, I didn't feel like I fit in. But again, X-Men had that theme as well. I thought it was very cool. Um, so, and I wanted to do a romantic, romantic drama, even though like I'd never had a boyfriend <laughs> or anything like that. But I thought, no, I just want to do a kind of relationship be silly comic, but it actually grew. It really grew. So there's characters, they have issues, whether it's like PSI abilities, whether it's uh, as per the title, like biomechanical arms that don't work. Um, how do they all get on? etc so it was a place where these these kids could just kind of chill out and you know live their normal life i guess where they didn't fit in um but then i decided to throw in some uh kind of mystery elements i guess um yeah but i've actually thrown it up on tapas um as well as my website uh i'm not sure whether tapas is tapas a thing in america to read comics uh it Kind of is. I mean, it's not as big as, like, say, Webtoons. Oh, yes, but, that's right. Yeah. But I do know, that, like, I have some friends who they follow various webcomics on Tapas, mm. for sure. Okay, cool. Because I'd heard of it before. Yeah, totally. Because Biomecha was created in the print age, pre-internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you know, it's what I self-published and I put online. So perhaps the pages are a bit odd for a webcomic reader. I understand that there's a flow for a webcomic page where it, it's perhaps each page is perhaps a little bit more self-contained. Whereas mm-hmm. each page that I put up, it is it is still sequential as if you'd be reading it. Um, yeah. And there's less panels because, uh, you know, again, influenced by manga. Not so much Watchmen with the 9 by 9 or anything. Definitely manga where I can have anything from you know 10 panels to one <laughs> you know it's, right. it's a bit more mm, fl- it, the flow is different isn't it i think when you're influenced by manga um, yeah i think mm. a lot of web comics these days like they start drawing it specifically to be more um like phone friendly like for oh, scrolling yes. yes scrolling definitely tapas scrolls <laughs> definitely and i'm not used to that i'm too old for it <laughs> i think mm-hmm. so yeah it's it's yeah. really it's really different. It's even different than like when you read like a like a manga ebook. 
because uh, that just flips like a book whereas the, like the web comics they scroll like you said uh, yeah it's more panels isn't it panels on top of each other as opposed mm-hmm. to left to right or right to left and then going down that way um but because biomecha because it started when i was so young and the art is a little bit squonky i actually put book one on my website oh, i put all of biomecha on my website but book one specifically is on my website but i've put book two on tapas and it's moderately popular i have some subscribers and some oh, kind of advice um but i think one of the reasons why i was hesitant is because uh, back in the day uh number one i didn't have the the technology like i was running off a really old computer i didn't have a scanner or anything back in the day oh yeah mm-hmm. so i didn't get on the whole um mega tokyo era of of webcomic oh yeah so, the the yeah. boom of webcomics huge boom huge boom which perhaps was very foolish of me because perhaps i should have done but i was i was a bit insecure um because i've got all this content um and the time where i was kind of burnt out by uni and jobs and stuff i just couldn't muster the courage i think to put it up online so even though Biomecha is a long-running story, I always direct readers back to my website where you, can, where you can read it from the start or you can jump into the newer art, which I'm happier about. And it's got mm-hmm. this is the character background so that nobody feels left out or what's going on. You know, there's a summary at the start, I think. Um, and just this week, I actually started uploading book three, which is going to be the final book. Um, and I'm so much more. I mean, there's so much more I could do with the artwork. But at the moment, I'm happy with it. And I don't think many creators are maybe 100% happy with their artwork because it's always a growth process. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt like, oh, it's it's professional enough to to go on there. Therefore, I feel quite happy about it. Um, the one, one time I sent my print comic off for review, I think in, the, in 2004... Um, it wasn't what the reviewer was expecting and therefore slammed it online oh. completely. They basically said, why are, you, why are you drawing a soap opera and not something like Akira? And I, oh. thought, and I thought, because I'm 15. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's, oh. and, you know, that, and that was what they're reviewing. So I was like, oh, I won't send my comics off. And it's it's so... Again, not the confidence out of me. You know, I don't get any reviews. And then the one that I did was, you know, a little mean. <laughs> um, so I thought, okay, I'll just print my own stuff. And then if people want it, they can buy it. And I don't know, maybe that will save <laughs> a bit more <laughs> criticism. I don't know. But I feel a lot more confident about it now. I'm finishing Biomecha. Um, and everything will conclude. Um, but I, I think it's going to break some people's hearts. But that's all I want to say about it, really. Oh no! <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's on Tapas. I think you can you can get to it to tapas.io forward slash series forward slash Biomecha, um, and that should take you to the current 187 pages. Wow. <laughs> so you know, if you if you've got a spare hour yeah. or something, flick through it. Um, and you know, I'm I'm a grown up now. I can take it if you have any feedback. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, back then, you know, when you're young, (laughs) you know, your comics are like your baby. You're like, I put so much of myself and my heart into, you know, my work. And then, you know, to have someone tell you like, oh, no, it's garbage. You're like, oh, oh, no, you're basically telling me I'm garbage. Mm -hmm. Like, it's a lot harder to to separate like your 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 personal feelings with, you know, critique. 
Absolutely. when you're when you're that age. So I, I don't blame you. That's that's kind of <laughs> rough. Like if someone had told me at 15, like, oh, everything you make is terrible. I would have probably felt the same way, too. Like, oh, OK, yeah. I guess I'll just stop. Yeah, <laughs> I, I just won't draw anything and stay in bed. You know, it's yeah, it's good stuff. And I think. I think as a kind of, I always call myself like a, a manga auntie um, to younger artists. I have no problems going out to people's comic tables and going, oh, this is great. And like make new friends that way. Because I'm always inspired by what everybody makes. Uh, even if it's, you know, my preferred genre or not. It's it's so nice. Um, and there's that networking aspect that I've really missed during COVID. Oh, my goodness. I've really missed meeting my comic friends at Comic-Con. Um, but mm-hmm. definitely that kind of back and forth. And recently there's been lots of breakout rooms and discord and, you know, just talk about manga and, you know, there's maybe there's oh, all sorts of, you know, ways that you don't have to scroll through Facebook to find what your comic friends are doing, perhaps like you could just pop to the discord room and, you know, be inspired that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. That kind of refinement, I think, is happening more and more. Um, yeah. And I don't, I don't, I think I know what I'm going to do after Biomecha, but it's been a long time in the making. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. starting in 1995, like that's quite yeah. a legacy that yeah. you've created, yeah. uh, you know, over the years. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. People haven't heard of it really, but, but that's because I, I think I just hid under a rock in the webcomic era. And now I'm just dipping my toe back into webcomics, I guess. Mm. But, you know, that that's not necessarily a bad thing, because, like, when you think about it, a lot of the big web comics that were around, like, in the late 90s, early 2000s, like, not very many of them are still around. There's only, like, a handful of ones that I can even think of. That's and, like, I know they're still around, but, like, you know, maybe the quality is dipped or the story is completely changed or the creator ended up being, you know kind of a jerk and now we just don't talk about that or you know whatever whatever the case may be and some just dropped off the planet completely they just you know poof you know their comic disappeared they disappeared and you're like oh well i hope they're okay yeah definitely that absolutely happened in the fanzine world um you know two or three people who perhaps i'd never met in real life um there was a manga anthology drawn entirely by one person and I only remember his first name, Martin, but he dropped off the face of the earth. And all of us who were writing to each other and sending each other comics, we were like, what's happened to Martin? I hope he's OK. Still don't know what happened. But that was Aww. a great anthology. Um, I think it contained about five different stories, all of different genres, all by one person. Um, wow. But yeah, but burnout is real. Um, we don't mm-hmm. talk about burnout enough because I think, yes, even though I've I've done over maybe what I've got up here. So it's 187 episodes plus book one, which is 200. So that's, what, 400 pages on Tapas wow. with another 150 to come, 550 pages. And then it will probably it'll probably be 800 pages by Mecca by the time it's done. I don't know. Maybe 700. Wow. That's, a, that's a lot. Um, but, you know, that's a lot to take on. But burnout is real. Um, mm. You print something, you have a break. That break turns into six months. Um, your your work or your uh, university course takes up your life. That's three years hiatus. Um, and I remember someone came up to me when I was at university and they said, uh, oh, I haven't heard anything from you since Biomecha 4, uh, which is before I went to university. And I just finished university. And they were like, have you quit? And I was like, how dare you? <laughs> <laughs> but it had 
told anyone I was on hiatus. I just assumed everybody knew. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's but motivation can be hard. It's most of the time, you're ping- making pages, spending hours after work every month making pages. You ping it up, maybe one comment, <laughs> maybe one heart. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 tough. it's tough. It is tough, but you ha- absolutely have to do it for yourself. Like for me, mm-hmm. the story is in me. I can't really rest until it's out, even though it's changed and developed and warped over the many years. I know now how I'm going to finish it. And I absolutely owe it to my past self. That's my motivation to just mm-hmm. get it out to say, well done, little you. <laughs> you did some yeah. good stuff. <laughs> and I think that's <laughs> important too. <laughs> um, and then if, if new readers like it, that's great. And if people are like, wow, I haven't heard of it before, but I'll pick it up now. That's great. You know, I'm here for that. Yeah. So um, we were talking about some of the stuff that you watched growing up, but do you have any specific uh, series that like uh, from back in the day, like the 80s and 90s or, you know, even the 70s uh, that are just like some of your absolute favorite like anime and manga that uh, inspired things like Biomecha for you? Oh, yeah, definitely. So I think the the first big comic that I really loved was um, Outlanders. Um, so I collected all of that by Dark Horse, translated it, Joji Manabe. I wasn't even that much of a Star Wars fan at the time, but of course Dark Horse kind of pitched it as a manga Star Wars, which I found fascinating. Um, so I loved that, and the character designs were super cute, and you know the exaggerated expressions I really loved. And then people were alluding in the letters page of Outlanders about oh, I've read about another um, green-haired alien with woman with horns. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is this? And then, of course, I got into Ranma, and therefore I found out about Urusa Yatsura. Um, so anything that Rumiko Takahashi did in the late 80s, early 90s, huge fan. I was like, oh, a woman cartoonist who's massively successful this is such an inspiration <laughs> so yeah that seems that seems to be like uh, <laughs> a very common thread i see mm. with a lot of female comic artists mm. around our age is that they were very 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 into Rumiko takahashi absolutely i mean we hadn't really heard of i hadn't really heard of many other female cartoonists other than perhaps trina robbins in the american scene so I, I bought the Silver Metal Lover <laughs> graphic novel when I was about eight. Um, I don't know if you've read that. It was out on Kickstarter recently as a republished oh. piece of work randomly. Um, but it was very much like 50s romance comics, but set mm-hmm. in a, a kind of a 70s vision of a future with a robot who was very kind and compassionate. Um, oh. Yeah, it's very dramatic. So I guess that was the closest I had to shoujo until <laughs> Promise came out. And I'd heard of Shonen, Shoujo. So Promise came out, Keiko Nishi. Um, uh, that translation was great because we didn't really get much Shoujo at all until Tokyo Pop, No, I think. even even in America, mm. we didn't really see a lot of Shoujo manga until, like, uh, Viz did, like, those few little mm. um, graphic novels of stuff like Keiko Nishi, like Love Song and and the four shoujo stories mm. and um they did a few things of motohagios mm. uh like aa prime yes uh, i think i actually collected the floppies of all of them oh yeah before i got the graphic <laughs> novel 
Um, mm-hmm. And they were also kind of interspliced with, oh, we're translating Maison Ikoku now. Oh, we're translating mm-hmm. Mermaid Scar now. And so I would collect those and yeah. roll on. And yeah. so, like, I, I do think that Rumiko Takahashi was, like, kind of the closest we had to yes. shoujo, even I, though it yes. technically wasn't shoujo. Oh, I but... 100% agree with you because there was a lot of romance, even though it was comedic slapstick romance. It mm-hmm. still, you know, it threw in ideas, I feel, that we certainly weren't getting in, you know, mega shonen <laughs> stories. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Like, yeah. like I would say that um, things like Meizani Koku and Ranma One Half are definitely, like, shoujo adjacent. Yeah, definitely. Definitely that. I suppose that publishers are doing that now, but more so on an aesthetic level, perhaps, not in a story level that... Rumiko Takahashi did for example with Death Note um it, you know yes it was in a shonen magazine but there were you know there were very pretty boys <laughs> in Death Note so lots of young women would be buying Death Note for these you know beautiful mm-hmm. characters um if you could call Elle beautiful I don't know he has an appeal you know I'm, I'm not gonna <laughs> um yeah so yes isn't it funny how how you know genres can intertwine but that's what I love but it also harks back to those co-productions like we 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 loved uh thundercats and and we could tell it was a little bit different um than perhaps something by disney or filmation um mm-hmm. you know it's oh like so- um i believe gem in the holograms was also like a, yes. a toei co-production back I in the think day it was oh my goodness gem i love gem love so i've got posters i've got the dolls i collected as an adult but even though gem was airing at the time <laughs> this is how my brain works <laughs> i'd watch gem and i'd be like this is great and but i like my cartoons with animals in it a little bit more but i know that i'm gonna like this a lot more when i'm older <laughs> I was like, oh, look. Oh, yeah, Gem. I remember that. And then I went on a massive <laughs> spree with Gem. It's so strange. I can't explain it. Um, but well, we did have that sort of like uh, soft reboot with Gem with the comics. Like, oh, uh, I collected them a while all. back. Oh, yes. Every single one. I got the floppy. <laughs> I was I went yeah. to my comic shop and I was like, reserve me this, please. <laughs> <laughs> Which a lot of those artists, you could definitely tell they were also like, uh, anime and manga influenced at some oh, point in their yes. lives as well, yes. which was really great. So wonderful. Um, it was I, like full circle. It really was. And case in point, one of the artists uh, actually is one of my friends and uh, she lives in Cambridgeshire as well. And she did a section of the Gem comic and I was like, oh, you're living the dream. And I was like, oh, so yeah, cool. right. So it was so nice to vicariously enjoy that as an artist and see my mate's work in print in this series that we'd both grown up loving you know appreciating and in our adult lives still loving right Um, yeah but uh (laughs) i kind of strayed us from the original (laughs) uh, question that i asked you but um so was there any other like really big influences that you that you really enjoyed from anime and manga like other than like you like you said uh rumiko takahashi and outlanders and Mm. Um, so definitely Bubblegum Crisis because there were these four kick-ass women <laughs> sorting out the city. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I def- I think that was probably my my favorite anime go. We we actually got the Bubblegum Crisis tapes uh, at American VHS prices 
um, which nobody was prepared for <laughs> in England. So they were reissued at a more uh, market entry level price. And then more people saw Bubblegum Crisis, <laughs> which was great. Um, so definitely Bubblegum Crisis. They, they all just seem to have strong women. And as a, as a teenage girl, I didn't really see the male gaze. I didn't know what the male gaze was. Um, but I also appreciated that if there was a guy that was being really perverted, um, he would get his head kicked in. Like, you know, a big mallet would come out and smack him on the face for being... Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. Like, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, maybe not so much of that now, unfortunately. But that was that was very inspiring, <laughs> I think, at the time. Yeah, what happened yeah. to the hammer gag? Like, we need to bring that back. You, or at least, like, like Akane would boot someone into the sun. <laughs> you know, yeah. something like that. Absolutely. So where did I go after that? Where did I get? Those were my core. Definitely Ranma. Oh, obviously Sailor Moon. And I think with Sailor Moon, it's because it's such a chore to get hold of it in the UK. It has that <gasps> That's right rarity uh, as mm-hmm. an added factor, I think, as to why I continue to love it and continue to champion it. Um, so, yeah, we had to... We, we got, like, 12 episodes at 6 a.m. when no one was watching on a Saturday... On a, uh, weekday uh, like we have good morning britain morning show nobody was up for uh, it in our demographic it was just for toddlers i think waking their mum and dad up at 5 a.m or something <laughs> something for them to watch um and then it went on to satellite television cable which not many people had access to we got some vhs and dvds in the late 90s but i felt like because i'd imported it from france I'd got an NTSC video player on my art college trip to New York. I went into Tower Records and I bought Sailor Moon Volume 1 in that spangly cardboard sleeve. Oh, <laughs> the, the the pink uh, Deke VHS. <laughs> I got that and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. <laughs> um, and then I got <laughs> Ranma because I couldn't get good copies of it. Everything was like nth generation ntsc conversion reds everywhere subtitles uh, you know incomprehensible i was like i want to watch ranma and i got the subtitled vhs from tower records as well um but yeah sailor moon the voices i was not prepared for (laughs) oh my gosh it broke my heart i have to say i'm sorry listeners i know that there are big big fans you grew up with it and everything i thought oh I cannot, even for the very good picture quality, I just cannot. (laughs) I was very sad. (laughs) Oh, yeah. yeah, uh, uh, People, uh, people in America, you know, talk about the, 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 the history of Sailor Moon in America, how it was like so difficult to get that original version of it here. But I know in the UK, you, you guys had a hard time getting any version Anything. of it Anything. at all like it seems like the the uk like sailor moon just kind of passed by the uk almost entirely it really did it was a humongous hit in every other european country france italy spain germany i used to come back from art college um early uh, some days and I'd just flick through the channels and we actually had a german satellite channel come through rtl2 uh, or RTL 2, <laughs> as my friend actually said. No, that's actually what it's called. I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Um, RTL 2 used to air Uncut, Sailor Moon, S, Super S, and Stars, which I'd never seen in my tape trading days. 
So I used to watch that. I didn't speak German. My French pen pal sending me um, tapes from Belgium. I didn't speak French, but it was literally the only way that I could see Sailor Moon. Um, And then Tokyo Pop had started releasing Mix magazine. Mm -hmm. So I was able to read on the manga, which was visibly so different from the 90s animation, but also so great in a beautiful parallel sense. Um, But it's so hard. And I think, honestly, it's it's why I scrape the Internet for, you know, affordable Sailor Moon merchandise, because I still feel that scarcity and that feeling. Uh, It's it's weird. It's strange. But I also feel like it, it did a lot of potential anime fans a disservice i feel that it was sexist because britain just used to show cartoons for toddlers uh or for both gender all genders uh or guys boys stuff but nothing like sailor moon um so our lgbtq audience might have felt more confident growing up seeing you know uh, uranus and neptune on television you know, unless right. you know, unless we got the cousins dub, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah. so funny because even here with like the cousins thing, mm. there was still such, you know, all they did was like change the the dialogue. They didn't yeah. change, you know, the 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 flowery uh, looks that they would give each other, or you know, yeah. the the way they would interact, which was very <laughs> very gay. <laughs> so you didn't like, get that coded uh, affirmation. Even yeah. though it wasn't explicit because of the yeah. reader, you'd still have that. And I just feel what a shame that that wasn't available um, mm-hmm. for our entire nation. <laughs> so I will always yeah. get on my soapbox about it. I could do an entire podcast about Sailor Moon. <laughs> <if you're wrong. laughs> but yeah, I just feel so sad. Um, so obviously I'm waxing lyrical to my friends and some friends really got it. Some people did not. I think it's because... One of the reasons that I also love it is because I can remember how I I felt as a kid. So I can kind of transport back and think, oh, six-year-old me would have really, really loved this. I'd have really obsessed about this. Um, so, yeah, I think being able to think, oh, uh, yeah, I would have really loved it also kind of helps as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah, it's 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 wild to me to think that because because there are still times where people complain about like you know oh the releases here in America they're not perfect why can't they be like more like this or this <laughs> and then I'm like well when you think about it this way like there are some countries who don't have any Sailor yeah. Moon release at all so That's like it. in a sense we're kind of lucky and I feel bad complaining about you know. <laughs> The nitpicking about, you know, oh, well, it could be better. It could be better. Meanwhile, like, uh, y'all in the UK are like, we don't have anything. Nothing clenches fist shaking, tear rolling down cheek. Nothing, I tell you. But that's when I barge into Twitter threads and go, oh, my sweet summer child. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Meanwhile, we can walk into like Target and buy like Sailor Moon t-shirts, like whatever we want to. Oh, (laughs) kingdom for a hot topic even though i'm middle-aged <laughs> all right but um going back to say like your your comic work and like comic work in general do you do you feel like there really is a generation of artists that were inspired by anime and manga growing up now um especially like in the uk do you feel like that's more common than like maybe when you first started doing comic work um i think i think definitely there's a lot more anime inspired stuff on netflix like 
She-Ra princesses of power, for example, I feel Voltron very, very heavily anime influenced. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I think that there are a lot of younger artists that would be inspired by this art. I'm not sure whether it would be considered anime specific, though. I don't know, because the, there's a lot of um, hybrid styles, but whether they'd specifically seek out DVDs from, um, I don't know who's distributing, whether they'd go specifically to Crunchyroll, say, um, and copy specific shows. I'm not so sure, because I think it's a bit more homogenized now. I think there's, there's better access and there's a lot more stuff that's been co-inspired. So, yeah, perhaps that's a good that's a good question because I'm not sure whether it, they'd acknowledge or whether it would be a thing, whether it would be anime inspired specifically or not. Mm. Mm. What do you think? That's a good point. Mm. That's a good point. I ask mostly because I'm like, you know, I don't know what the, the comic scene really is in the UK because I'm so far removed from it. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of people here who like we have like sort of an idea of what we think the art scene is in the UK. But like, I know that if you're not actually there, you know, it, it's just like, you know, you you have a guess, but you don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what, what did you do? Well, I can, I can definitely say that nothing has really changed from the 90s. The kids, the comics that I grew up with as a kid, uh, mainly the Beano and the Dandy. Uh, we, we, had a, we have a British Dennis the Menace. Um, it's not the American Dennis the Menace. I'm not sure if you know the story about Dennis the Menaces, actually. Um, no. So your American Dennis um, it, it appeared in newspaper strips. He had little red dungarees and blonde hair. Yeah. Yeah. And we also have a Dennis the Menace who has a red and black stripy jumper and black spiky hair. And they were oh. actually created within a month of each other across the Atlantic. <laughs> what? <laughs> With no knowledge of the other whatsoever. So both exist. So we had Dennis the animation. I think it you know what i think the dennis animation might be a co-production so technically that's an anime <laughs> oh wow so dennis i think it was distributed by deke again was titled uh it was just titled dennis not dennis the menace because of course britain had our own so that was a mm. random anime tangent for people to search <laughs> um, so, sorry back to the comic scene we have the beano and the dan we did have the dandy that folded sadly the main kids comic is the beano it features many characters um, created since the 1950s onwards. Big comics legacy. It's all changed over time. It used to be two full uh, pages of one story from start to end. Now they're kind of shorter. It's got a lot more diverse. Um, it's disability friendly. There's a main character in a wheelchair now, which is great. Oh, wow. Um, you know, uh, characters of color. All and there was a lot of rivalry between Dennis and his main enemy, Walter. But he was he was originally quite soft and Dennis would bully him for being soft. And we can't be doing with that now. That's all changed, thankfully. Um, and now <laughs> Walter is more of a, he's kind of a party pooper. And, and Dennis is the person that stops him from ruining people's fun, which is much better. Ah. <laughs> so that's quite sweet. That's the main kids comic. We still have 2000 AD and Judge Dredd um, and all the science fiction stuff that comes with that. We also have another anthology called The Phoenix. Um, which is a subsidiary of a book co publishing company, David Fickling Books, I think. 
and that is also an anthology for all all demographics um adventure stories is what that publishes the most but you know what that's actually about it for our mainstream comics oh interesting which is a little bit sad uh we never really had like we import all our superheroes we don't really do our own even though we do have british superheroes from previous publishing companies the one main thing that i've been quite sad about is that even though the growth of people making comic books not just comics inspired by anime and manga just people making comics having the digital accessibility being able to make them no publisher has really stepped up to the plate it's like they've Mm. got all this content people are literally making it for free throwing it on web comic platforms we don't really have much growth and i i just maybe i should just write to all the publishers and go oi <laughs> do something <laughs> all this talent you know are our talent is our talent pool going to go over to america again like um alan moore did and grant morrison did you know or yeah can we develop something here i understand the big reason in the 80s you know apologies if my history is a bit flaky here on western comics in the 80s because i was reading manga and i was a child um (laughs) (laughs) i think it's because the contracts were better but also credit was given in britain there was it is not the same now a little bit too late but people weren't getting credited for the work that they were doing um definitely in the old-fashioned strips people would the artists would actually try and sign their own work their own comics and then the publisher would tip x them out white out the signatures (gasps) Um, and no credits so you'd just get your freelance rate but you wouldn't get art credits and I think that this was still happening so there was a bit of an exodus um, into more adult comics around Dark Knight era, Dark Knight Returns era mm -hmm, I think, mm -hmm. I'm sure our listeners can fill in the gaps (laughs) from my bad comics history but yeah, again there's, there's been nothing but again maybe I put that down to the arts cuts maybe I put that down to the still the Victorian idea um, is prevalent even though comics can be very accessible to neurodiverse kids um kids that feel different uh there's still a thing Mm -hmm. that people think that comics are for babies and i just find that so very sad um this this opinion is usually given by people that haven't read a comic in their life or haven't read a comic (laughs) since they were children and are usually over a certain age (laughs) And Mm -hmm. and then i step in and go no 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 <laughs> let me politely tell you why you are wrong <laughs> um, yeah and I think people find that a bit shocking as a woman as well usually wearing a cartoon t-shirt or pink leopard print head to toe or whatever and I'm like no 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 <laughs> maybe that's to do with art cuts arts cuts as well I don't know we, we need something and I don't quite know what that is yeah Not that, sure. that is yeah that is a little disheartening to hear like That's i would have good. thought that there'd be more growth in like the uk comics uh, yeah. scene yeah since then but well i guess the good thing that's come from this and this is probably an american company initiative but the publisher scholastic has been publishing a lot of graphic novels for kids because scholastic mm-hmm. they sell books kids read books kids also read yep. comics Let's publish some <laughs> graphic novels. So, oh yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. that's where things are going. Um, graphic novels for kids around the age of ten, I guess. For us, it's the lower end of primary school. We go to secondary school at age eleven. Uh, what grade is that? Um, two, uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven grade. 
three, grade five, maybe grade six. Yeah, that sounds about yeah. right. You know how I calculated that? Because I remember Lisa Simpson singing about how she was the saddest kid in grade number two. And she was eight Aww. years old. Yeah. <laughs> and then I count from Simpson Sing the Blues. I actually count that on my hands. There you go. Aww. What would my life be without animation? I certainly couldn't count grades. That's for sure. <laughs> so, yeah. So, who but, knows? Maybe Scholastics, you know, is going to uh, plant the seeds for younger readers. And then a publisher can come in and publish comics for a slightly older demographic. What do you think? Yeah. It, it feels like there is definitely a market because mm-hmm. I know there there are there are UK anime fans and they want to buy anime and manga. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know why they wouldn't like utilize that and be like, well, look at all these great manga influenced comics that we yeah. picked up. I, it's so strange. I've had I actually had two incidents in the past month as well where one one was a direct accusation. <laughs> And another was a question about cultural appropriation. And I do Ah. wonder whether this is a thing. And my personal stance on it is that I'm influenced by an art style. Therefore, I will meld it in with all my other comic and animation influences. Um, I'm certainly not pretending to be Japanese um, you know, perhaps mm-hmm. like one big American comic book publisher editor once did. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and my all my and like not one is, uh, not one of my Japanese friends has said I hate what you're doing. Stop it. They're my Japanese friends are not always artists, and they were like, oh my gosh, you know this character? I haven't seen that character for years. This is so fun. Oh, I'm so pleased that my culture has had such an impact on you. And it's a shared joy. And one of my other friends said, well, isn't it like food? You bring lots of food to a table and you share it and you eat it and you enjoy it. Um, and, you know, is it, I don't want people to gatekeep it to and put other people off making stuff. Because if I was influenced by American comics, I would... Be if I was Japanese, you know, my hero academia. <laughs> you know what I mean? You know, it's, it's right, right, yeah. Sharing. I feel like that that doesn't, you know, cultural appropriation. Like that's a whole topic for like a completely different mm-hmm. podcast. But there's nothing wrong with being influenced by the things you love and trying to share that through your own work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like you said, like if you were reading so many manga back in the day and anime like obviously that's going to be more apparent in your work that you were influenced by it like you watch my hero academia and he was obviously inspired by spawn the ninja turtles the x-men like all these things and and that's great like i think that's one of the reasons why everyone latched onto that series so hard was because it was like a mishmash of all of these things that like no matter where you lived in the world, you were like, oh, I know that. Absolutely. Like, I recognize that. It's a love letter, so, isn't it? It's yeah, like, yeah. It's, know, it's, you're connection. not, it's like you said, you're not pretending that you're like, oh, I, I want to be Japanese and I'm going to make this Japanese comic. It's mm-hmm. like, no, I just love this art style. And so obviously it's kind of seeped into my work mm-hmm. and it shows it's like a love letter, yeah. like you said, to like all these things you like. Yeah, I'm glad. And yeah, I, yeah, definitely. But uh, I, it's like, no, it's it's not to be taken away and I don't want to steal it. <laughs> I want to contribute no, no. it, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I want to contribute my own thing because mm-hmm. everything's cyclical. We shouldn't gatekeep 
Um, because yeah. there's nothing to get made. <laughs> sadly. I mean, I mean, now we have people from all over the world making anime in Japan mm. with Japanese studios, which is so wild because like back when we were kids like that was the dream wasn't it like oh wouldn't it be amazing if i could go to japan and like be an anime person (laughs) like and that seemed impossible like like oh that would never happen but now we have people from like france animating stuff in japan for toei and and other studios and it's it's wild you know and the whole co-production thing has come back cyclically uh, you know a netflix anime um i don't know if you have or if you've seen treze um which was from the a comic book from the philippines and it's been translated uh, i forget which publisher into english but netflix have picked it up and they've made global dubs of this um animation adaptation of treze and i'm like that's the dr- as you say that's the dream and it's so good. It's so different. It just brings different stories and ideas and concepts into living rooms all over the world. And I'm here for it. It's the yeah. golden age, yeah. I think. Absolutely. And then I'm, all, but, I'm um, always too slow to remember this <laughs> when I get asked this question. <laughs> but of course, anime as we know it wouldn't exist if uh, Tezuka wasn't so influenced by Disney. So, you know, it, again, cyclical, yeah. all influences. And then there's the whole, like, aspect of, like, well, not all anime looks the same. Mm -hmm. Some of it looks more realistic. Some of it looks more cartoony. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you know, you can't make such generalizations sometimes. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, It's a much bigger topic than I think I'm capable of, uh, uh, articulating s- super well, but yeah, like I, 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 I totally agree with you that you know it's, eh, it's uh, that's not quite it. Like there, yeah. there's a huge difference between, uh, you know, oh I love this thing and therefore I use it as inspiration, and yeah, I wear that inspiration on my sleeve and I'm very open and honest about it. Then you know trying to like you know pretend like oh yeah i'm totally japanese and this is my japanese comic like yeah mm, yeah with my totally two different things laura (laughs) (laughs) but um earlier you did say that you were also like super into video games growing up like what were your like really big favorite video games back in the day definitely the whole early super mario series and kirby's dreamland on the game Boy. Oh, oh kirby. i love it that's so my much. favorite <laughs> i love it so much uh i love the the nes version is my favorite oh, i don't think we got that but i definitely picked up kirby's dreamland on the game boy um mm-hmm. weirdly when i was on holiday in florida <laughs> because there was no regional <laughs> thing on the game boy um yeah and it, back in the day before region locking region and now it's and then we didn't have it and now it's come back i hate region locking so definitely kirby definitely mario i got a lot of anime adaptations um like i got the ranma beat them up beat them up game on the super nintendo and that, yes. I, and that was oh the story of me be, coming across that is so strange basically there was a really popular technology import shop in dudley of all places which is not a city it's uh you know a town again another black country town that is not known for its technology and they had all sorts of imports including that a horrible philips cdi with the ugly oh. and everything I was yeah. like, 
<laughs> I remember being traumatized when I saw that. I was like, oh, well, I'm not going to get that. No, thanks. Um, but they had a very tiny section of imported Super Nintendo games. And I was like, oh, need to save up my money for this. But Ranma, it was the second Ranma game. And it was 80 pounds. 80 pounds. Wow. 80 smackers. That was more than my original Game Boy cost put together. So I saved and I saved and I saved and I'm thinking that game had better not be sold out. And my dad's like, it won't. It's too much money. <laughs> he was trying to put me off buying it because he, even he thought it was so expensive. And I was like, yes, but nobody's going to have this game. And I was obsessed about this game. <laughs> my dad ended up lending me the money to get this and I ended up paying back out of my pocket money because I was so desperate. So I had the Ranma game um, just as I bought Street Fighter 2. Which also, which cost sixty pounds as well, which was so expensive when it came out. But oh, that game! That oh, I played that game to death. So I definitely got my eighty quid's worth out of it. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then I imported some Sailor Moon games and all the other Ranma games and just any game that looked cute, like Pop and Twinbee. I loved that game. Parodius. Oh my gosh, I loved that game. That's like my number two game, I think, on my Super Nintendo. Um, I don't know if you got Aww. around to playing that. Any Parodius games? I don't think so. No? I I know I do remember Pop and Twinbee. Yeah, so cute. But it, that was also a Konami game. Um, so Pop and Twinbee, you're at the bottom shooting up, and Parodius was a, a parody of Gradius. So you shot from the left to the right, but instead of getting spaceships, you'd have penguins and Easter Island heads and dancing girls, and it was <gasps> oh, weird. Yeah. <laughs> you remember it? Great, great. That's okay, it, I've yeah. seen I've seen clips of this game, but I've never actually owned it or played it. But oh, I just remember yes. seeing this and going like, "What is that?" <laughs> it was so weird. I was like, "This is a trip." I love it. <laughs> like so <laughs> colorful and. The, the background music was really squonky, squishy comedy versions of classical music as well. So oh. it's all on YouTube as well. Like you don't even have to spend money oh, to pay for games, but it's all on YouTube. And I recommend anyone to have a look at it. So just before anime was, you know, easily accessible, like this was all we had like to import these crazy games. Um, oh, yeah. So yeah, yeah. it's such a big influence. And I was like, this I can't imagine Britain <laughs> making a game like Parodius. This is wild. Oh, I <laughs> loved it so much. I found cheats. It was also a game where when you when you put your three initials at the end for your high school, you could choose whether you were a boy or a girl or other. And I thought that was great. <gasps> it was really really Seriously. And I was like, what a concept. So I knew wow. that you didn't have to be boy or girl. You could be whatever you wanted thanks to this game. And I think I was about 13 when I was playing that. I was like, wow, that's wow. impressive. Yeah. So that is that is kind so of amazing. Cool. Absolutely. And I thought, well that's that's great. So yeah, we don't talk about that enough about Parodia, so I'm glad I got that on this podcast. Yeah. Um, what else did I play? It was it was just seeing what I could Im- what I could afford and what I could Im- import. Um, mm-hmm. And then then when I see manga came out, so I was spending all my money. Oh, and like PlayStation came out, and I didn't like 3D. It was very janky looking and didn't appeal to me whatsoever. <laughs> So maybe I was cashing in my gamer card <laughs> around that that era. I, I love the games that came out on the Dreamcast, but again, it was too expensive. But I was spending all my money on comics, so I couldn't afford anything. So, yeah, I was definitely a Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Game Boy, golden era of gaming. Like, that was my focus, I think. 
Um, mm, yeah, mm-hmm. loved them though, loved them. And then when I went to Japan around 2004 and 2007, I made it a mission to go to the secondhand shops and try and fill in as many gaps in my collections as I could. Um, but the prices now for secondhand cartridges skyrocketed. Absolutely, you know, there's so many scalps oh, yeah. now on eBay. I'm like, mm-hmm. you know what? Even if I wanted to fill in a gap now, I, I couldn't afford it. Well, even, well, you know, going back to the whole COVID thing, like prices started getting even worse because people were stuck at home and they were like, oh, I want to play that old game that I remember having, you know, back when I was a kid. And so now everyone rose their prices because they're like, oh, I'm getting all these sales. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I mean, on one hand, business. On the other hand, sad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So now there's like... Uh, the 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 retro game market is like just ridiculously expensive right now, which is kind of heartbreaking. Yeah. Uh, because you know, uh, it's not like you can go out to shops and look for these games in person as much oh. anymore. You know, thanks to COVID. So, uh, you know, buying online was a lot of people's only choice, and now it's like, well, <laughs> yeah. If if you have the money, sure. But like, if you don't, it's like, well, you know, shrug. I guess you're gonna have to find an emulator online or something yeah see people love emulators but i've always uh, it hasn't appealed to me number one because i'm not tech savvy enough to actually get a rom going like seriously i have so many friends that could help me but i'm like no i'll do it myself and then i fail (laughs) it's easier to like get all my stuff out and plug it into the television (laughs) seriously yeah Um, plus that you know it just feels you know more comfortable that way you don't have to set up a whole thing on your computer Uh, i know it's it's way easier for me to be like, okay, I'm just gonna, you know, plug in my old SNES because I still have it. Oh, like, yeah, let's go. Definitely. <laughs> oh yeah. So the American Super Nintendo was purple, wasn't it? Lilac and purple. Uh it was gray and purple. Oh, okay. So as was as was the same as the Super Famicom, randomly. Like they didn't <gasps> oh. change it. It's, yeah. Um, yeah. So I got I got a UK one and then chipped it. And then didn't know, and then sold it, <laughs> and then got another one, and then got an adapter or something. So yeah, you could send your precious Super Nintendo off to some back magazine advert with fifty quid, and either a never see your Super Nintendo ever again. <laughs> oh no! Or b have it come back chips, and maybe it will play those games. And if you were lucky, they would hacksaw out the Super Famicom rounded edges to be a square, so that you could play your American imports on your UK Super Nintendo. But that, that yeah, <laughs> uh, back in the day, there were there were places that could do that for you too, um, with the same problem. It's like, well, you you might find someone who is legit, and then you might not. Yeah, uh, it's kind of you know, are do you feel comfortable doing it, so giving risky. it a shot? <laughs> but of course, you know, we were already used to like, well, you know, there's this guy who can send you some fans of VHS tapes if you send him a money order. <laughs> so it's like, well, I already took that risk. I guess this is the next step. That's great. Oh, that that makes perfect sense. Yeah, we didn't, we didn't do that. We had, so pen pals, if you were lucky enough to know a pen pal who had a good NTSC conversion to a PAL VHS or uh, they actually had an NTSC player that they could miraculously tape onto PAL. I don't know. Maybe they needed something to switch the signal a bit before it was received by the PAL recorder. I don't know. Technical wizardry. I don't know. But it was the only way to get anime. We didn't 
so we were we were discussing weren't we before the we hit record that in some american conventions many american anime conventions you could buy fan subs usually on very beautifully <clears throat> beautifully colored vhs and people would make their own labels and it looked like a very professional um you know output really good whereas us we just like we we couldn't I don't think we, we were a bit worried about the legal implications because we were such a small country and we only had a few manga right. video titles. I think we just didn't want to rock the boat, perhaps. I'm yeah, sure. that makes sense. But, you know, the same. this is coming from the same nation that still tape traded all the banned video nasties in the 80s. You know, we were, <laughs> right. still, we were still swapping, you know. <laughs> As a nation, we were swapping Italian horrors and, you know, Texas Chainsaw or whatever got banned. Clockwork Orange, mm-hmm. I think, was banned for a very long time. So you could still do that anyway. So maybe it was, you know, sticking it to the man or something in the horror circle way. Whereas perhaps in the anime circle way, we're like, no, no, we must not rock the boat. We do not want anyone to get into trouble sort of thing. I'm not sure. I do remember I had a UK pen pal tell me that, like, it was kind of iffy for buying, like, tapes or even trading tapes because there were so many people who were of the mind that, like, all anime was, like, you know, porn oh, and, and violence. Yes. And so there were a lot of crackdowns on um, stuff like that yeah, back in the day. definitely. So a lot of the 18 certificate stuff, definitely Urotsuki Doji got minutes cut from it, like, properly chopped by the British uh, Board of Film Classification. They just wouldn't let it fly. Um, so there was a lot of editing. So... It was so strange for me as a teenager growing up. So I'd have, I'd talk about anime to the maybe two people (laughs) that would listen to me in the class about it. And I'd tape trade. Whereas everybody else, maybe their older brothers had got Fist of the North Star or whatever, or they'd heard of Urotsuki Doji. And, you know, they'd come up to me and go, oh, you're a pervert. You watch all the horrible pervert anime. Yeah. And I'm like, I, I watch Ranma. I watch Sailor Moon. Leave me alone sort of thing, you know? Right. It was very, very difficult. And I'm like, yeah, but you also watched, like, D'Artagnan and Thundercats. And these were fine. And they were like, they're not anime. And that was another story altogether. Anyway, <laughs> so I'd go from <laughs> that era to then four years later, Pokemon came out. And so it's like, oh, you're a baby. You like those kids for the cartoons for kids. And I'm like, oh, I can't win. I watch Ranma. I watch Sailor Moon. It's not the same demographic. It was very hard. <laughs> if if it helps, like I went through very similar conversations when I was growing oh, up in America yeah. because people thought very, very much the same thing. They thought that anime was either all stuff for very small children mm-hmm. or it was porn and violence. Mm-hmm. Like there was no in between with those people mm-hmm. because they had heard about either one or the other. They'd heard about like Pokemon or whatever yeah. or, you know, other little kids stuff yeah. like uh, like Speed Racer or Astro Boy or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And, and then they'd also heard about, oh, oh, have you heard about the horrible tentacle monster things that you can get in anime? <laughs> you must keep your children away, you know. I think at some point, because even though we were a household of media, my mom actually really wasn't into comics or animation. It was me and my dad and my brother and my mom just going, what's going on? And I, I, th- <laughs> I think at one point, I think she thought that I was in some kind of cult. With oh no! 
And my dad was like, no, no, it's fine. <laughs> you know, he was kind of overseeing it. And I thought, well, dad says it's okay. Therefore, it's fine. Like, I know it's not a cult, but I'm a teenager. It's, yeah, that was another weird conversation I had to have. But I was like, no, it's fine. We send cartoons <laughs> to each other. <laughs> I had to- yeah, explaining that to my parents was also like a thing. They're like, why do you keep getting videotapes in the mail? <laughs> What's on them? You're like, cartoons. You know, you have to. Yeah, they're have just to- cartoons. <laughs> I swear. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh- but once they saw like, once once they saw like Sailor Moon, they're like, oh, okay, we get it. Yeah, definitely. We get it. Definitely. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So before we get into some questions, Mm. do you have any uh, older anime and manga recommendations that you would give to younger fans? Oh, that's a good one. Well, I'm always waxing lyrical about Sailor Moon. Um, And I just found out yesterday that, you know, the Eternal Editions, the the Nakayoshi size um, color pages, they are actually being reprinted for what the fifth time (laughs) or something in 300 page volumes at a more accessible price point so i would probably say to people if they hadn't read sailor moon um pre-book pre-order pre-book pre-order this book from the book depository because you get 300 pages of comic for a tenner which i think is incredible so i would probably suggest that and explain what Sailor Moon's about because I think actually it's good timing because we've got the Sailor Moon Eternal movies on UK Netflix like it's probably taken what 20 years for Sailor Moon to come on television again via streaming (laughs) so (laughs) it would fill in the gap because of course Eternal drops you right into the middle of it and if you don't know what's going on it's a bit of a you know cluster so I'd recommend getting in on that um so Maze on Ikaku got a reprint re- right recently or it's oh coming? yes 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 definitely that it's i think they're out to, to the fourth or fifth volume now oh, i right. can't remember well that's easily um, halfway isn't it i think halfway yeah because these are the omnibus yeah. versions so they're like two in one oh, in- okay so we're at there. yeah they're like two in ones great well i think if anybody's lived uh, away from home in shared accommodation they absolutely need to read Maze on Ikaku because I don't think it's a cultural thing to have wacky housemates <laughs> I think um, so definitely Maze on Ikaku um, so when I was a kid I would recommend Ranma but I'm not sure how new readers would uh, could appreciate it in the same way um, I'm not sure whether anybody our age uh, is also hesitant about recommending Ranma but Ron, Rama is interesting. Mm-hmm. I tell people that like it was a, basically a cultural touchstone for a lot of people our age because a it was a, a, a series that people of all genders were really into, mm. like very into. Yeah, hugely, uh, hugely throughout the nineties. Mm. It was like so big. It had such a huge influence on all of anime and manga fandom Mm. really like to the point where like people who had never read or seen ranma know what glomp is Mm -hmm. and the sound effect glomp was popularized through ranma oh uh, my gosh i never made that connection you are absolutely right (laughs) but yeah yeah, because uh fanfic writers back in the 90s they used that because it was a sound effect in the in the Uh, comic yeah 
And so they would use it in their fanfic, and then that carried over to other people making other fanfic. They would borrow that. So it just became, like, kind of an anime thing? That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, like, now there's, like, a whole generation of people who are like, oh, glump, you know? But they don't realize, like, where that kind of originated. Right. Uh, and it, w- it was basically from Ronma. <laughs> Absolutely. So, yes, I'd agree, then, from perhaps a, more of a researchy, cultural, touchstone-y um, angle, uh, it might mm. be interesting for everybody to read but Ranma. Also, um, the way that Rumiko Takahashi played with gender, mm. I mean, it wasn't always, like... I mean, sometimes it's a little problematic mm-hmm. because, you know, it hasn't aged like perfectly mm-hmm. obviously because we have a, a a straight woman talking about gender things and she wasn't like maybe queer herself mm-hmm. at that we know of mm-hmm. as far as we know mm-hmm. um but a lot of people my age discovered they were lgbtq mm-hmm. through ranma mm-hmm. because they were like oh uh i want to be a boy that's turning into a girl how can I do that like (laughs) or you know things like that yeah um some people found out they were gay because they read Ranma because they were like oh wouldn't it be great if I could just swap genders and be with this person that I liked and like and you know things like that so introducing Uh, it as a concept even through this fiction is so was and is I guess so important so mm, yeah it yeah so it it is a messy work, and then mm. there's also like you know the uh, there's some things that aren't speci- like specifically very uh, good with race, mm. like especially with Chinese people. Oh, that's true. <laughs> you know, this woman was playing with concepts mm-hmm. that were unheard of at the time, mm-hmm. uh, and it was very influential on so many people. And I think I mentioned it earlier, so many uh, uh, comic artists that I know, Mm -hmm. like on social media, that I follow, like on social media and things like that, like Rubiko Takahashi was like their childhood. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Yeah. And especially like women were like, I found this artist and she's a woman and like everyone loves her work and she's so cool (laughs) and she makes these amazing stories that are so just out there and who would ever think of doing that? Like, and, and people were like, I want to grow up to be her, you know? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, like, yeah. So, with with all of Ronma's problems, I am I am definitely biased and I'm definitely a Ronma apologist. <laughs> I, I would say definitely take Ronma one half with, like, a grain of salt because it's not, like, a perfect piece of media. But, yeah. like, what is a perfect piece of media? Well, that's very true, um, isn't it? Especially a piece of media that's, what, three decades old now? Maybe more? Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. you know, it's it's been around. But there's, like, a reason... Like, there are things in this series that I feel are really, really great. Yeah. And the fact that, kind of akin to what you were saying with Sailor Moon, there's, like, uh, female characters that totally kick ass in this mm-hmm. uh uh, series yeah. like we, you know, we have a Kane who's just like I, I don't want to be like a regular girl I just want to be me yeah definitely and she's standing up for herself like physically as well as emotionally throughout the entire yeah. run definitely and then we yeah. have like girls who dress up like guys like uh, Ukyo and oh yeah uh, and um, Tsubasa is a character that we don't really hear too much and is more of an incidental character um, mm-hmm. but I think I think Tsubasa also dressed not as their gender 
Um, yeah, Subasa yeah. was a was a boy that dressed like a girl yeah. because he was like, you know, I just feel more comfortable this way because I'm so pretty. Yeah, yeah. And I think I look better this way. <laughs> <laughs> but like, like it wasn't a big deal to him at all. He was like, deal. what? Yeah, exactly. And I was like, oh, there should have been more perhaps of Tsubasa. I don't know. <laughs> so we'll, we'll definitely <laughs> throw Rama in that list of recommendations then with caveats. I think that's fair. I think I would probably throw in Battle Angel Alita, especially now the film oh, yeah. came out. Because, and mm-hmm. then maybe suggest to find the original OAVs as well. Because um, they still hold up. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm surprised nobody has re-released those OVAs with the popularity <laughs> of the the movie and the the manga getting that re-release. I I was sure that someone was going to jump on it and re-release it, but like, I don't know. Maybe there's some uh, some contractual there must be. red tape there. Yeah, there must be. Was the two OVAs only? Two. Yeah, it was just two. Because mm, I remember seeing the two OVAs and going, I can't wait to watch more of this. Oh, and that was it. <laughs> oh. Oh. But that, that was pretty common back then, yeah. though. You're like, yay, I found this OVA and it's pretty good. Uh-oh, there's no more. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a shame. And I think I think this is a random one. But um, in the UK, we didn't really get Speed Racer televised, but we did get it on cheap like kids brand VHS and we of course got the film so if it's it's not so much an anime recommendation or a manga recommendation but I'd really throw in the speed race of film <laughs> because it looks amazing um, oh the yeah. the an- the old anime one or the um oh, the, the live, live action. action one I'm actually a big oh yeah fan of that. and I'm like this is a segue random edition that perhaps doesn't fall into this category but is related um, mm-hmm. And I think when people have watched enough anime, or at least older anime or read up on anime, you'd get the in-jokes, like the overdub and, you know, the little mm-hmm. references. It's still such a beautiful piece of entertainment. I would just throw that in there as well. It's one of my comfort it films, is, actually. It is one of the most anime movies mm-hmm. ever made. <laughs> and I, you know, bless the Wachowski sisters for yes. this movie. Yes. I feel like it was so ahead of its time. Oh, exactly. Not not appreciated as much as it should no. have been when it came I out. I saw the, for an IMAX I, reboot or something, re-release oh, in an IMAX. That would be amazing. <laughs> I, I saw it when it came out in the theaters. Oh, I made a point to go see it, and I was telling every, I was like, you got to see this movie. It's so amazing. And nobody did, mm. and I was so sad. It even had a Ronma reference in it, actually. Oh, my, I, um, I can't quite remember it, but I will keep an eye out for that. Oh my god! There's there's a part where you see uh, someone's keychain ring, and there's a Pichan <laughs> keychain. Amazing! Incredible. And it's kind of a blink and you'll miss it, wow. but it's there because I recognized it immediately. I was like, oh, "It's Pichan!" How did you contain yourself in the cinema? I would have freaked out. <laughs> I was I I almost yelled. <laughs> Uh, so we have a couple of questions. Oh, great. So from an email from Eric, listener Eric, for Laura, if you could wave a magic wand and get your comic made into an anime back in the 90s, oh. who who would your dream team to make it be? I.e., what studio would you want to animate it? What character designer would you want, etc.? Oh, my goodness. So I think I'd probably go for Sunrise. I think, because I think they did such a great job on Dirty Pair, actually. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, quite kinetic. I'm not sure whether it would suit maybe 
the content actually maybe that's a bad choice but I, I think it was the studio that i respect the most at the time maybe character designer has to be atsuko nakajima oh yeah, yeah. her stuff is so good <laughs> definitely so yeah if i had a million dollars and squillion dollars even <laughs> you know and i could rope <laughs> anyone in i'd be like yes throw money on the floor that's what i'd like please yeah <laughs> yeah back in the 90s and you just have a blank check oh my gosh like... yeah yeah that's the dream <laughs> you know we'll see yeah, come on, Netflix, knock on my door, please, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've got original content ready to go right ready. here. If if you were going to cast your characters, like voices, mm. like ideally, have you ever thought like, oh, so-and-so would be the perfect voice of this character? Amazing. I haven't thought that far. I didn't. I know that some people really do like their dream, like their football dream team or something, but people do that with mm-hmm. voice actors. But no, I, I didn't think that far. I really didn't. I'll probably just say, bring my friends on, please. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, yeah, I'm going to pay you all this money. I have all this money. I'm going to make you the the star of my new anime. Maybe use it as a platform (laughs) for maybe up and coming creators. Oh, there you go. Yeah, yeah, I think that's my my answer. Like, I just use it as a platform to help raise um, and they can put it in their portfolio. Yep. (laughs) That sounds fun. Yeah. Oh man, I was just thinking like your your style would have uh, looked really cool in like '90s anime, like cell painted anime style. Oh, like yeah. I can I can just imagine it in my brain. Thank that you. would be so cool. Oh, I did try and do the cell painting thing. I used to buy the acetate from stationery shops. Did you? You guys would have had overhead projectors. Maybe it was a different. Name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. the shops at that time still sold A4 acetate. So I'd buy it. And I'd draw a picture and I'd use permanent pen sharpies on one side. And then I'd and then I'd get paints from the games workshop, <laughs> like Warhammer paints for little models. And I'd oh. paint on the back so I would make my own cells. So, yeah, I'd have a go. But I, And then I realized, oh, my goodness, people are paid pennies um, to, like, do this for every, yeah. like, how many per second? god knows uh like 20 some frames per second sometimes oh my goodness like akira and even more yeah i was gonna say even more for like movies yeah so and then i was like wow that's laborious (laughs) yeah yeah it really gives you some perspective trying it yourself when you're like there are people who literally get paid two cents a cell to do this and it's so hard i found it heartbreaking to be honest it's uh yeah, that shouldn't be allowed. It's it's still a problem. Yeah. I mean, now instead of painting cells, now it's just, you know, drawing, mm-hmm. period. That's true. It's, it, it's it's like, you know, every frame you're paid like a couple cents. Mm-hmm. And and then people wonder like, oh, why do some of these productions look so weird? Yeah. It's like, well, because these poor people are being worked to That's death. That's true. Case in point, Sailor Moon. Check it out on Netflix US. <laughs> <laughs> Sailor Moon Crystal, yeah. Oof. Oh, Sailor Dirt. Oof. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah unfortunate yeah. let's see oh i had an anonymous question on tumblr Ooh. uh what are some things other than anime manga and video games that inspire you oh so uh so i grew up with uh, you know a couple of kids books i remember watching the worst witch um <gasps> oh yeah yeah yes we we didn't get as um the worst which wasn't as big here mm. as it was over there 
but we did have that movie in the eighties <gasps> with with Faruza Bolt and Tim Curry. It's my favorite. I loved that movie so it's much. So great, and I love it to pieces. And I've got it on DVD. And we, I, that was a huge obsession when I was a kid. Um, I was also hugely obsessed with Galaxy High School as well. So there was that. <laughs> so when I was very young, it was all like those characters from Cleveland, Care Bears, My Little Pony, very much oh, know, yeah. still part of my mm-hmm. kind of pastel cartoony aesthetic. Um, Galaxy High School. I think with The Worst Witch and Galaxy High School, I'm just such a big fan of underdog stories and um, overcoming mm-hmm. differences and, you know, making friends in these difficult situations, I think. Um, mm-hmm. So those, those were definitely yeah. like my, my top kid cartoons. With movies, I think it was just films that were almost <laughs> like live action adaptations of cartoons, like they could have been. Um, in which case, that actually happened. Ghostbusters, I was hugely uh, in- ah. inspired by, loved it, creepy, crazy. And then they made the real Ghostbusters cartoon, which I was also obsessed with at about age eight, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, I think I'm afraid outside of media, I wasn't very sportsy. Um, I just like staying at home making stuff and drawing stuff, to be honest. So <laughs> I was sat in front of yeah. the telly doing stuff. And that was, that was <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. And we have one more question from the Helen McCarthy. Oh, Speaking God. of her earlier. Thank you, Helen. She has a wonderful question that I really <laughs> thought was very insightful. So she says, I often wonder what, as a young woman and emerging artists, uh, you both, I guess she's also talking to mm. me, uh, thought of the newborn UK anime scene where most of the peer group you were entering was male. Mm. Uh, what were the challenges, the minuses and the pluses of being young, gifted and cute <laughs> in, in that situation? It's so sweet because I never thought I was cute. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. So kind. Um, Bless you, Helen. <laughs> um, so there were, there were pluses. Um, I didn't know that many older people it was just people in my year group at school that I knew I wasn't close to any of my cousins or anything like that so I didn't actually have any not parent age but slightly older people to talk to I guess as kind of senpais um in that context so going to conventions uh, my first one was 15 years old. Um, I was very lucky. There was one in Birmingham city center so I could travel from the black country to go into Birmingham. My dad took me because I had to have a guardian, but he was like, oh, everyone's safe here. I'm, I'm going to go shopping and I'll come back and collect you. And I was like, oh, so, oh back in the day yeah. when you could just do that. <laughs> so I was like, that's, but that's cool. Cause it, you know, it was like, don't leave the hotel. Um, if you have any problems, you know, just wait here and I'll be back at this time. I was like, okay, dad. So it was great. So I got my independence. Um, the old, it was nice because I had the affirmation from the old people um, who maybe were at college at the time and I was still at secondary school, high school. And, you know, they gave me help with my comics when I didn't know anybody who made comics. You know, I was basically copying comics and trying to figure out how to make comics. The only how to make comics book was that Marvel book by Stan Lee and Steve Bushima, I think. It's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, it's a classic book. Oh, sorry. Yeah, John Pashima. And um, yeah, so it was great because I could meet other people who made comics. I could meet other people who were still into cartoons. So that validated me still watching animations and reading comics at that age when, you know, at school it was mockable and things. You know, it, I didn't make many friends by reading comics. They all thought I was an idiot, I think. Um, 
so those for me were definite cons. I felt quite safe, um, like having extra big brothers and sisters. And there were one or two women there, and of course we latched onto each other immediately. <laughs> it was just so sweet. of course. Um, so yeah, so independence I think, and a bit of senpiness, <laughs> a bit of teaching. Um, for the negative side, I think, um, and I, I'm absolutely not naming names, but it, it did happen to me. And in my experience, there are people with predatory mindsets at these events. Yeah, and it's it's true. We have, unfortunately, so, and they've always existed. Uh, you know, you you got them before the internet. You have them on the internet. It's a human nature thing, sadly. However, there is more awareness we have the terminology we have people's sadly lived examples to act as descriptors of you know if you're young and you don't fit in and you're vulnerable it does leave you open to attention from these yeah. types um yeah people take advantage of the situation they do. Yeah. they do and you know i consider myself one of the lucky ones whatever that means but at the same you know it's there's a lot of danger in certain situations and I do have tales and experiences that I won't go into because, you know, they're quite personal and stuff, but lessons were learned, shall we say. Um, mm -hmm. That also does go back to, for me, the positive side because the big brothers and sisters could see what was going on. <laughs> so I had backup right. as well. So that was great. Mm -hmm. And I had context and I had explanations um, because it's very subtle. It's not like what you see in films. It's not like what you see in TV. Um, grooming wasn't a term that I was aware of. Um, things like that. So, yeah. Yeah, now we we definitely have more of a, a terminology mm -hmm. and an understanding of the signs to look for mm -hmm. and things like that, which is huge because back then we didn't really have that those sort of resources that we do now. Absolutely. Um, um, and the people, like you said, who sadly lived through those things but were kind enough to share those and brave enough to share those experiences and mm. tell people like this this is what you have to look out for because this happened to me and I don't want it to happen yeah and also this is how it happened as well mm -hmm. because you, I think and I think especially with um you know kids who fit, not just don't fit in at school but are actually undiagnosed neurodiverse kids um they grow up to be undiagnosed neurodiverse adults um, and I actually got diagnosed with uh, adult ADHD last month. So it turns out I've been living all of my life as a neurodiverse person, and I did not know. Um, but I've been reading up on it to educate myself and to discuss with other people what it was like and what it is like now. Um, but neurodiverse people don't pick up on cues uh, as perhaps neurotypicals would. Therefore, those perhaps very subtle warning signs, they would go straight past us. We wouldn't We wouldn't pick up on them. So there is a vulnerability there as well. Um, and I think I think with comic scenes and anime and manga scenes as well, you know, there is a safety uh, with being amongst other people who love what you do and understand why you love what you do and why you make what you do, etc. Um, but there are always going to be people that take advantage of that, sadly. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. How about yourself? The question was to yourself as well, Dawn. So, <laughs> oh, <Yeah>. well... <laughs> <laughs> um, I think some of the pluses kind of, uh, definitely things that you touched upon, like, you know, having there being some friendly older folks that I could meet and, 
learn from and talk to and feel like I was part of a group and I wasn't, you know, judged or, you know, I was taken more seriously and I felt, and that felt so validating as a younger person, Mm, you know, because you get a lot of people at, when you're young telling you like, oh, that thing you like is stupid. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Or like, you know, you don't have a lot of freedoms and things Mm -hmm. like that when you're younger. So just having a space that felt like this is my space and my friends always felt very comforting. Mm -hmm. Um, And it wasn't always like in real life. Um, Mm -hmm. A lot of it was like you said, um, pen pals and uh, people that you would meet at comic conventions or comic shops. Um, I was lucky enough to have a comic shop in my area at the time. Uh, that was very welcoming and very uh, eager to just be friendly and uh, and not harshly judge me for like things that I wanted to buy. Yeah, they definitely felt like safe spaces before we knew what safe spaces were. I think. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Um, definitely, some of the challenges would be like uh, those times where I would go to places where it was like you know maybe an anime m- meeting, like an anime club mm. meeting. Or, say, a uh, a small convention that had some anime stuff going on. And, you know, there would be, you know, the occasional person who would just be like, oh, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. Um, You know, you're you're too young. Or um, this is, like, for dudes Uh, only. Or whatever. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) And those were always, like, a little disheartening. And... uh, you know, you still see that mindset sometimes to this day, mm-hmm. which is very, like, you know, sometimes I get so frustrated. I'm like, oh, I'm so sick of this whole, like, you know, you know, no girls in anime, period. <laughs> like, it's like, who do you think is making a lot of the stuff that oh, you like? Yeah, who's translating like, it? And it's like, how old are you, six? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, although nowadays it feels more like, uh, the thing I come up with the most is like younger people who are like, if you're over 25, you need to stop liking anime. (laughs) And it's like, I didn't realize there was an expiration date on my interests. Oh, I'm expired. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I am long expired if that's the case. Like, wow. Um. The running man where you've got that, you hit 30 and you've got. Oh, yeah. Flashing beeper right. sign. And, and instead of flashing, it just goes back a back a back, and you expire. <laughs> oh no! Oh, I am dead. <laughs> um. So, so that was you know something I had to deal with. Like famously, I think I've talked about it before. Like I in my school, like there was an anime club, and when the 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 boys who were graduating who were the the president and the vice president or whatever um put out a thing like oh we're going to nominate you know since we're graduating we're going to nominate new president vice president or whatever and i was like oh i would be great at this because i have a bunch of tapes and i could totally do this like so i i put in an application and i got you know well we've never had a girl oh oh my god and we don't know like the protocol for that and and you know so it was like they didn't trust Mm -hmm. that I could do a good job on my own merit so they 
they instead of putting someone as me being president and then someone being the vice mm -hmm. president, they had some they <laughs> they put me and someone else who was a, a, of course a boy as co-presidents. Oh my goodness. Instead of instead of there being a president and a vice president, there were just two co-presidents and I was like, "Really? Uh, wait there, I'm just going to get my 100-ton hammer and <laughs> <laughs> Because that is just and I always thought that was just like I mean I tried to shrug it off as no big deal but like looking back I was like that's such a you know it's a tiny thing but it's those tiny things that like they oh, it, it really pick at you over time oh, you know yeah uh, it's it's just sexism in microaggression ways yeah you know, they they yeah. Get, they couldn't even bring themselves to relinquish the, the yeah. hallowed title of president Wait, to and a girl. <laughs> And the funny thing was, my co-president was uh, also involved with, I think, the Writers Club at the same time, and our meeting days were, like, almost the same. So he was never there half the time. So I was the one who did all the work most of the oh time. Oh, my gosh. And, and But I was still co-president, like... Uh. And for a while, that did kind of bother me. I mean, now I just think it's funny. Um, but like at the time I was pretty down on it. I was just like, ah. you, you, you couldn't trust me enough to do a good job on the merit of just, you know, me being a responsible person. Oh, only though when you hit your later age that you thought that you realize that literally had nothing to, you know, do with me. There was nothing else I could have done. It's just them. Yeah. It's literally just yeah. them. But we do, we carry it. We carry it around with us for years, if yeah. not decades, because, uh Hopefully things will change for schools in anime clubs. So if you're listening to this, <laughs> please consider <laughs> what is actually sexist and what is actually good for your anime club. Yeah. There yeah. You go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, well, thankfully, it feels like now, now that anime has become more of a widespread thing, more of a mainstream thing, more accessible to more people, mm -hmm. which, you know, back when we were young, that was the dream, right? Mm -hmm. Like, Absolutely. we wanted it to be everywhere. We wanted anime everything. Yeah. Why wasn't everything anime? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and now it is. And we're like, yay. Uh, um, and I feel like there's, there's way more, there's way less of that mm -hmm. and way more uh, spaces that, you know, people have carved for themselves uh, to be way more inclusive and warm and welcoming and opening. And I feel like we're seeing less of that mindset because yes. usually when you see some someone like trying to do that, especially like on Twitter and someone's like, you know, spouting their their silly, silly takes like you see a lot of people going, what are you talking about? Get out of here, you know, <laughs> like swatting them with a fly swat. Get out. <laughs> Stop it. <Yeah>. Down, boy. <laughs> Water yeah, <laughs> so so even though it does still come up from time to time, uh, I feel like now there's way more of us to be like, no, no, get out, yeah, get out of yeah, here. Yeah, definitely. Like, stop it. Stop it with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it has been so much fun talking to you about your work and your inspirations Laura. Oh, thank you so um, much for having me, <laughs> listening to my roundabout rambly ways. <laughs> I really no, it's been so it. fun. Uh, especially, like, the insight on, like, what it was, 
like being an anime fan back in the day in the UK, which, you know, I think, like I was saying at the top of the show, a lot of my listeners have no experience with whatsoever. And, um, you know, it's really insightful to hear, you know, how this thing we love blossomed in other countries outside of, you know, America. Absolutely. Uh, it's really interesting to me. I mean, we speak the same uh, language. It should be parallel, but no, <laughs> it's culturally not yeah, at it, all, is it? It's so strange. Completely different. <laughs> and also, before we end the show, uh, I want to do my uh, big thanks to everyone who supported me this month on Kofi, including Slam Duncan 52 and several others who wished to remain anonymous. If you want to get a shout out in the next episode of the podcast to be just as cool as they are, all you have to do is go to my Kofi account and leave me a tip of two or more coffees. I'll have a link to that in the show notes, which you can see at animenostalgia.blogspot.com, as well as animenostalgia.tumblr.com, where you can also find other relevant links for this episode, as well as links to past episodes. You can also find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, pretty much wherever you get your podcasts. Just do a search for the Anime Nostalgia Podcast and you can usually find it. And while you're there, you could always show my podcast some love by leaving a rating or a review. I always love seeing what people have to say about the podcast. Or if you want to send me your thoughts and comments directly, or you just want to say hi, you can always email me at animenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. It might take me a little while to get back to you, but I promise that I do read all the email that I get. My amazing theme song music was made by Carobit. You can find him at Carobit, K-E-R-O-B-I-T, on Twitter. Also, congrats to the winner of my Fist of the North Star giveaway, Tim, who has already gotten his prize pack of Fist of the North Star Volume 1 and several other assorted goodies, courtesy of Viz Media. Big thanks again to all who entered, as well as big thanks to Viz for the prizes. I also wanted to give a little shout out to the Trigun Reanimate Project, which is a group of artists who got together last year to reanimate the opening sequence to the Trigun TV anime. Uh, by the time this episode goes out, their finished video should be up and available to watch. You can find a link to it via their Twitter at Trigun Reanimate. And I will also have a link to them in the show notes as well. Again, Laura, uh, where can we find you on the internet? I know you did share some of your spaces earlier, but, you know, just a refresher in case anyone oh, forgot. Oh, sure. Thank you. So my main website is uh, pinkapplejam.com. Um, I called it Pink Apple Jam. It was a mild reference to Marmalade Boy, of all things, by the way. I'll just interject that. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> Pink is cute. And, you know, some of the things that I draw, most of the things that I draw, you know, I want them to be cute. But also apples can be a bit sour. And I'm really sour <laughs> about me. <laughs> and the jam part comes from not just being inspired by Japanese animations, comic books. It's inspired by everything. So my art style is has a lot of things um, into it. So that, that might explain the name. <laughs> so, yeah, it's Pink Apple Jam. Uh, dot com is my website. I'm Pink Apple Jam on you know all the social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, etc. Um, my comic is biomechacomic.com and that's biomecha as in short for biomechanical because my main character has uh, mechanical arms. Um, what else do I do? 
uh, I'm on Etsy, I guess. Again, pink apple jam. And then when I get burnt out, I do sewing. <laughs> and I actually set up an Etsy shop um, for my sewing. And I called it Old Taku Vintage. Not Otaku, Old Taku. For we are Old yeah. Taku. Yeah, <laughs> Old Taku. Old taku yes. Vintage. So this is my old, my retro stash of materials. I put some like Pretty Cure. I mean, Pretty Cure is 15 years old. I think Pretty Cure is vintage now. Um, you know, oh, I, man. Don't I, tell I, me that. <laughs> all the sewing and completely different things that I do all up there but yeah thank you so much Dawn thank you listeners thank you everybody it's been amazing to be on this podcast huge hugely (laughs) appreciated oh no problem I I might have to recruit you on again sometime in the future for something else yes absolutely (laughs) ping that invite my way I am here (laughs) yay (laughs) all right well thanks again listeners and we will see you next time 